The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he plants one. Way back. Go. It's one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All right, I can't make this up. The press conference in San Francisco is still going. It's unbelievable. Gabe Kapler is the new manager of the San Francisco Giants. The press conference started a little bit after noon. Normally, when you do these press conferences, you come out. Well, they actually have a new general manager also. So... You interview the you introduce the new general manager, you introduce the new manager, Farhan Zaidi. What is his title? Is he VP? Is he president? Whatever what's his title, Cody? President of baseball operations, or maybe he'll just be known as the CBO, Chief Baseball Officer. So he you come out, you talk a little bit, you introduce, Kapler says a little bit, new GM says a little bit, and then take a few questions, fifteen minutes, tops. It's over. They're still going. It's still bring it as it's still going. It's still going. Apparently now he's talking about Brandon Belt, who people are saying possibly could be the most likely player traded before opening day. So Kapler's not talking about Brandon Belt. It's unbelievable. He doesn't shut up. He won't shut. It's it is literally one of the worst introductory press conferences I have ever seen. It is a controversial hire. When it got announced yesterday, like Scott Harris, the new GM, has not said anything, basically. He's just sat there like a puppet for an hour. This is such a bad look. It is unbelievable. And you know what? For the first time in a long time, finally the Bay Area media is going to step up, and they're going to challenge the Giants. And I'm not doing this as the A's guy. I've covered the Giants for years. Well, way back when. But when the Giants won their three World Series, they became bulletproof. And finally, especially with this decision, if you looked at all the comments from Giants fans, nobody's happy about this. I don't know. If I have ever seen this before, ever, where a guy being hired from outside the organization, technically you don't know him, that everybody hates it. Everybody hates it. And then you have a press conference. It's going to make people hate it even more. He's still talking. It's over an hour into a press conference. Here, listen to this.
dude, it's supposed to be 15 minutes. You're still talking. It's an hour later. So on the show today, Kevin Franzen, Franzen, my buddy Franny, former big leaguer, now does color for the Philadelphia Phillies radio network. He knows Kapler. We're going to bring him on at 2 o'clock. What are the Giants getting? What are we getting here in the Bay Area? Because I can tell you, I don't know Gabe Kapler. He was a great guest back in the day when I had my talk show on the other station because he was one of those guys, very informative, very smart. Likes to talk. You ask him three, four questions, he'll take up the entire interview. But I could have told you then, interviewing him, Gabe Kapler likes Gabe Kapler. Probably one of the most in-shape guys of all time, too. But Gabe Kapler likes Gabe Kapler. Now, as a media guy, that works. And the Dodgers brought him in, and a lot of people, it's finally over, by the way. Can somebody get me the actual count on how long that press conference was? That's a disaster. I have never seen a guy come from out of town, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, at 510-897-1322. That's 510-897-1322. Wait a minute, go back, go back, go back. They're, they're going to uh, NBC Bay Area. Go back to the screen. You closed it? Oh, my God. Pat Burrell had a look on his face. That was Pat Burrell's in there with Kelly Johnson inside the studio. And I couldn't hear what they were saying, but I could clearly see Pat Burrell going. He had a look on his face like a smirk, like, oh, my God. I don't think I've ever seen something like this where you are – Bringing on a new guy to lead your franchise. He's in from out of town. Now, Commander Cody brought brought up Jim Tom Sula. And we remember that tragedy of a press conference. And then after with our good friend Jim Cozumore uh, on NBC Bay Area asking him. And his answers were, uh, we're going to run it and we're going we're gonna to throw it. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a disaster. But a lot of people... We're against Jim Tom Sula because they believed he was a part of the process of running Jim Harbaugh out. But he was already in the building. Now, I don't know how many people miss Harbaugh. I always will miss Harbaugh. Good friends of Bob Melvin and Harbaugh, a good friend of the Oakland Athletics. But the way Michigan has gone, I don't know how many people are like, ugh. So we'll have Kevin Franzen on at 2 o'clock to talk about this. And this was not winning the press conference. Official time, it looks like, from what I gathered from my recording, around 58 minutes. There's no way you ever plan an introductory press conference for your new manager, head coach, whatever, for an hour. Chris Rose, MLB Network, NFL Network, intentional talk. Is he down at the GM meetings right now, or is he in L.A.? I think he's in L.A., but I'll double-check with him. All right, we'll talk to Chris Rose at 2 o'clock, and then our buddy Shooty Babbitt, at 3.30, then we're going to play a snippet. So we'll continue to do all the bells and whistles of A's cast here during the offseason. We have recorded a nice half-hour green and gold history with our buddy Dave Feldman, our A's historian, and we've been doing top 10 positions throughout the year. We just recorded top 10 center fielders all time in Oakland A's history. We'll play you a bit of that today. And also, 
we're going to be efforting somebody from the Giants press conference just to talk about what they saw, what was going on. We got a lot to get into today because the Astros continue to be the gift that keep on giving. And I will get into the Astros coming up here because we could see a historical precedent set this offseason with a certain organization. And a certain organization that's just been to the World Series, Game 7 of the World Series. But I cannot help but not start with Gabe Kapler. Gabe Kapler is known as somebody who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. And this is why I don't understand the direction Farhan is going here with Kapler. When you bring in somebody who immediately is disliked, like even the super soft cheerleading media of the Bay Area, everybody's all over him. Why are you making this higher? This is this is something we talked about in the past when Cody kept trying to slam this down my throat, and I kept saying, there's no way they're going to hire him. Cody was right. But where I'm right, Cody, is no one's going to like it. You can't sell this. There are so many bet. This goes back to the supposed domestic violence that was kind of a cover-up with him in Los Angeles that involved a minor when he was working for the Dodgers, which Farhan today had to talk about multiple times to say that, oh, we learned from this, and that was really bad. You just are having to deal with what happened with Larry Bear, their CEO, and his wife that was caught on tape that we saw their confrontation out in public. We saw the video. Now you're bringing in a guy that was not successful in Philadelphia, which we'll talk about that with Kevin Franzen at 2 o'clock, wasn't successful in Philly. There was all kinds of issues in Philadelphia. And now you're going to bring him in on a three-year deal on a team that doesn't have the roster of Philly. You know, where are they going as a roster? Didn't understand what they did last year. Like, all of a sudden, they got a little bit of a hot streak, and everybody got excited, and it's Bochy's last year. And I've been saying for years that they're not taking on water. This isn't a boat taking on water. This is a boat that sunk at the bottom of the ocean. Were they, like, 70-something games under 500 since the All-Star break of 2016? That's not a small sample size. They're at the bottom of the ocean. Farhan knows it. You can't win with these older, expensive guys anymore. I guess Kapler's talking about building around Buster building around Buster Posey. Have you seen these numbers? The fact that he's a number three hole hitter in your lineup is a disgrace. No offense. I think he's a good man. He's been a terrific player, but he's a shell of himself. So you're gonna you're gonna bring a know-it-all guy who's gonna be tough to deal with. He's a load. You got to deal with him before every game. You got to deal with him after every game. And this was in Philly where they were trying to win. What's this going to be like when you're 15 games under 500 and it's the all-star break? 
I mean, unless he turns this thing, I mean, he's got some magic pixie dust, and all of a sudden they're going to start winning baseball games. You're not beating the Dodgers. You're not going to close. Nobody in this division is going to beat the Dodgers. You're going to deal with this guy? I mean, I, I, I just, I know Farhan is a smart guy. I don't get, I don't get it. You need a builder. You need a teacher. You need a great communicator. Those are not things that came out of Philadelphia. What you saw today in a press conference was a guy that's showing you he likes him. He thinks he's really smart. Maybe I'll be completely wrong. I see this as a disaster. I see this within two years not working. And Farhan's got one year in. You know, this is the type of decision that you make that affects you ultimately. Because if this gets off to a a, a rough start and prolongs and losing, and all of a sudden it's, you know... He does strange things with the lineup. He kind of pisses off star players. The way to utilize the bullpen. And then all of a sudden you could be looking up and you're now looking at a whole new regime again. There's people who are just tone deaf and don't get it. They want to live and die by the data. That's fine. But this just isn't a guy that lives and dies by the data. He's tough to get along with. He rubs people wrong. Guys like that don't survive unless they win, and they win right away. That's fact. Once again, we're watching a guy come into his job already the softest baseball media, or one of them. At least for a big market, it's the softest baseball media. They're already looking at this as, this isn't going to work. Like before he ever talked, and then now he's talked for an hour, and now that backs up all the belief of this is not going to work. Seriously, I have never seen something like this you hire the guy everybody hates it now wait till everybody sees this press conference now everybody's really if you hated it you're now really gonna hate it and watching from the other side of the bay we might have a lot of fun with it we might have a lot of fun what 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 did uh What did they do on MLB Network? They had Kapler's Corner. He's so controversial. Brian Kinney. You know what? We'll talk about that. You want to know when you're controversial in your very first year, they start doing segments about you on MLB Network. We'll talk about it next right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town. A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. So last year, or actually two years ago, 
because it was right out of the gate. Some serious controversial calls by Kapler in Philadelphia. Had the whole Philadelphia media pulling starting pitchers way too early. It was like right out of the, the analytics new handbook. A bullpen, bullpen, bullpen. Like pulling guys so early that everybody's looking at him going, what are you doing? Which got everybody questioning a rookie manager. You know, because that's the thing. It's like when you haven't managed before, at any level, when you start making mistakes, they're going to be all over you. So MLB Now, one of the shows on MLB Network, that's a real analytics show. As Brian Kinney says, it's the show for the thinking fan. They created a thing called Kapler's Corner. Because this was so outside the box hiring this guy. And I hate that expression. I'm sorry. Can we extract that? I hate that. Such a stupid Silicon Valley thing. But, yeah, he it's such an out-of-left-field hire that they started going over his decisions on a regular basis. And it didn't make him look good. And it got to a point to where you know, you're two years in, you're just a couple games under 500, but there's a reason they showed you the door, right? There's a reason. And the number one thing you have to be able to do to be successful now as a manager in baseball is you got to be able to manage up and you got to be able to manage down. So many years, this was about managing players. The players had to respect you. They had to fear you. They had to know you had the ultimate hammer. Ray Fossey will say all the time, Dick Williams would say to his players, World Series champion players, the only thing that I can control is the lineup card. Charlie Finley controls everything else. What do I have? I have the lineup card. I can make you sit right next to me. That's the power that I have. But in modern-day baseball, you have to be able to deal with the guys above you as much as the guys below you. The guys above you, the owner, the ownership group, the president, We've got every CEO, CBO, COO, all those guys. The guys, are, you know, everybody's got a fancy title now. Baseball, president, blah, 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 vice president of baseball. Everybody's got a title. You got to get along with those guys. It's a manage up, manage down skill set. That Bob Melvin is one of the best I've ever seen at it. And that's why Bob's going to be around here for a long, long time. That's the reason why the New York Yankees came calling for Bob Melvin. You got to be able to do it all in today's baseball. That's something I'm going to ask Kevin Franzen about at 2 o'clock because Franny was around him the last two years in Philadelphia. Can he do all of that? You don't get a long time in this game. 
You get a three-year contract. You're not going to be it unless you, unless you see tremendous growth. You will not be there for two years. And you're replacing somebody that is beloved. And he should be beloved. Because Bruce Bochy is good people. I interviewed Bruce Bochy back in the day when he was the manager of the Padres. I've interviewed Bruce Bochy for years with the Giants. I know a lot of people who know him well. You know, his best friend is my old infield coach when I was a little kid, Tim Flannery. I've had extensive talks with Flan about him. Bochy's a good man. And loved. He's not a load. He's not a me, 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 I, 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 I'm the greatest, I'm the smartest. That's not how Bochy operates. And that's what that building is used to. That's what those players are used to, good or bad. You are used to the way Bruce Bochy ran the organization. Now you're bringing in somebody who is like the opposite end of the spectrum. This is something we see in football constantly, right? You'll have a football coach that operates one way, right? Let's say he's a hard ass. He's tough on everybody. He's tough on ownership. He's tough on the players like Harbaugh. Just really hard to deal with. So when you're going to hire the next guy, you want somebody that's completely opposite of him. And that's what that's what you see a lot. And then when that person fails, then you go back to the other side for what you had before. You never hire the same guy. When, when someone leaves firing, retiring, you never then go hire the exact same guy. You ha- you you usually it's human nature, especially with firings, you hire somebody that's completely opposite. Well, that's what they've done. They've hired somebody completely opposite. Of Bruce Bochy. Now, where this could work is that you're not going to, because I'm not going to say, hey, it's not going to. I, I, if I had to bet on it, I bet in two years we see something different. But let me give you the other side of it from a baseball side. Could he be successful? Yeah. Philly's different than San Francisco. Philly is different from the standpoint of. They're 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 in it and they're after it every day. It's a different beast. They're looking for controversy every single day. Bryce Harper comes to town, it's every day. They're looking for an angle, they're looking for a story, they're looking to one up the other paper, the sports radio, the television. Everybody's looking to break a story. Everybody, that's not who we are. That is not even close to what we do here. Mark Willard's good at 1.30 if we want to talk to him. He was at the press conference. Yeah, so. I, go on, I actually go on his show. Yeah, so we'll get Willard on here in about five minutes to talk about the Gabe Kapler experience. What the press conference was like. 
But this will be the one benefit. If I'm going to give Kapler one shot at it, is that who's going after him? Like they did in Philly. Who's going to question him like they did in Philly? Who? Who on their beat is going to play tough guy? Maybe Andrew Baggerly? I mean, Hank Shulman does a good job. Is Hank Shulman going after him? Kerry Crowley going after him? I mean, our market's pretty soft, which I don't have a problem with. I do respect the East. I, I've always kind of liked how they cover their baseball teams. I like the fact that every game means something to them. You know, we've seen it years past. Yankees or Red Sox come out earlier in the year to Oakland. They don't play well. Man, they're all over them. Out here, it's like, oh, it's early. Isn't it great? The baseball season started. It's early. It's not early in Philly. It's not early in Boston, and it's not early in New York. They expect you to play for 162, and I respect that. But that's maybe where he'll have an advantage here. He's gone from, I got to deal with everybody who's looking for a fight and anger. Everybody's looking for a story. They're looking for an edge every day on me. That's what it's like to be the manager of the Phillies when there's high expectation and the fight and fills are spending money. Now he comes to San Francisco. Eh, no one's expecting them to win. No one's, no one's expecting them to win the division. I mean, Who's the hard? Who's the hard-nosed guy that's going to be following him on an everyday basis? Anybody that's kind of got an edge to him, they're floating around. It's Niners. It's Warriors. It's there. There's not going to be a guy in front of Kapler every day grinding him from a media standpoint. Maybe he'll use that to his advantage. The bottom line is winning, and if you don't win and you rub people wrong. If you don't win and you're tough to deal with, it's not easy. Mark Willard is a host on KMBR 680. I go on his show uh, every so often, so it's great to have him on my show as he was over at the press conference today. Mark, how are you? Tony, I am fantastic. Honored to be on your show. Well, let me tell you this. Normally in press conferences – you want your head you want your head guy to come out and talk a little bit. Then you want to introduce your new GM. Then you want to introduce your new manager. You want to take a few questions. And then you want to get up and you want to take pictures. And then you want to talk to the media off the podium. And it's all done in about 20, 30 minutes. This thing went for over an hour. What the hell was going on? Yeah, this one was a little bit different, wasn't it? Um, for uh, <laughs> for all kinds of reasons, and you know, normally I think uh, you know guys like you and me, we like it uh, when uh, when content or sports or events break the mold because sometimes what you were describe, uh, describing a moment ago can get a little mundane. But I don't think uh, that this breaking of the mold was all that comfortable uh, for the Giants. I mean, the main reason for its length actually. Uh, you'd have to put on Kapler himself. The opening statement of Farhan Zaidi, uh, followed by Kapler himself, was probably close to, you know, 25 minutes just in and of itself before anybody was even asking a question. And most of that was Gabe. I think uh, he had a lot to say. There were a lot of things that they wanted to try to address uh, before they got to questions. I think that's fair in this situation. 
I think he also was a little bit nervous. He admitted that. And so, um, you know, he kind of wanted to walk through uh, some bullet points that he had in front of him. Um, but Tony, it was just a, a different kind of a, of a press conference. I mean, anytime that you're introducing a new era and, and you're starting off with explanations and apologies and talks of authorities, this is all incredibly uncomfortable. I guess you could say it speaks to how very, very firmly Fahan Zadi believes this is the right guy. Uh, because if he didn't, with conviction, uh, why would they do this? Why would they put themselves through this? But, uh, but yeah, that was the lay of the land today, and it was definitely different. Yeah, all the years I've been doing this in the Bay Area, I don't think I've ever seen a guy who was hired and immediately everybody doesn't like the hire. And then all of a sudden you double back on the press conference. Now everybody really doesn't like the hire. It's just when we heard the rumors of this and sitting over, you know, we've known Farhan for years over here from his time. He's a great guy. I was just like, how are you going to go from Bruce Bochy, who's so beloved, and then go to Gabe Kapler and just not what happened in Philly, knowing just what we know about Gabe Kapler how are you going to sell this? And already this has turned out to not be a very good sell job right out of the gate. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I think that there's probably room for, for some, some different perspectives on, on how today went. Yes, it was awkward. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a little lengthy. Uh, but I don't, I don't think that the guys did anything to necessarily hang themselves uh, with regard to these issues, I mean, I think one fair question that I really want to get into with people, uh, you know, once uh, once once I get back on the air later this evening, is if you are really that upset about anything related to Gabe Kapler and what happened in L.A., why were you okay with Farhan Zaidi in the first place? Uh, because Farhan, as he has now detailed, was every bit as involved in that process as Kapler was. So I think what happens, Chris, and, and you get this, uh, what happens is, is, is certain labels and perceptions, they get tagged to people, sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly, and then off we go into the social media mob. And that's been tagged to Gabe, partially because he also doesn't play the game. He's a little bit different. Uh, he, you know, some might say he's a little bit odd or, or whatever. He's a unique personality. I'm of the mind, though, uh, and I think Fahan is probably as well. No matter how it starts, it's really going to come down to what happens as it unfolds. Once games actually start, once relationships start getting built. I mean, they could have hired Joe Espada, and if they went out and lost 40 of their first 60 games, then what's everybody going to say about Joe Espada? And if, if vice versa, if, if it goes out and – and people look like they're getting along and, and, and the team is having some sort of success, maybe there's a flip side there too. So I, I do think, you know, the, the short play, you're right, does not look good. Uh, but there's a long play that we, we still need to watch play out. Yeah, and the thing, the big question that I have, and been following this since, what, the 2016 All-Star break, there are more than 70 games under 500, and I've been saying, hey, listen, I know I'm the A's guy, but just watching it, this ship's not taken on water. This ship's at the bottom of the ocean. They, I mean, they've, they've, they've been bad for a while now. So it's like, 
Farhan, where are you going? Are you going into rebuild mode? Are you going into a mode where you're trying to win and rebuild at the same time? You bring in Kapler. I mean, what's the direction going forward for the Giants? Well, there are two really interesting things on that. A, uh, that's why I'm so excited about this offseason. You know, the GM meeting starting here soon. I don't know how quickly anything will come together. It seems like baseball just keeps, to, you know, lengthening this process, and now some guys don't get signed until February. Uh, but I, I think what they do this offseason uh, will we'll have a lot to say on that. Um, but beyond that, as far as the direction, I mean, what's clear outside of them announcing today that Ron Wotus will still be the third base coach, and I think he wanted to stay in San Francisco, and, and there is something that's kind of nice and nostalgic about that for fans. Outside of that, I mean, it is really time to flip the whole thing upside down and, and, and pour it out. This is a, a, a very true about that Chris is to the point you just made you know the, the fan base loves Bruce Bochy and and they love a lot of the guys Bumgarner Posey who have had attachments to what was a wonderful run but it's been well over a thousand days of this team being a bad baseball team and for some reason there are a lot of members of the fan base that don't want to see radical change and, and I'm, I'm wondering what it is they're hanging on to. Certainly there are memories, uh, but there's nothing in the recent time that suggests there's anything to hold on to. Yeah, and one guy they talked about, and it's a little bit of a, that I actually got to see when Kapler talked about Posey and building around Posey, and it's like, whoa. Buster hasn't played a full season <laughs> in two years. The numbers, they're just not there. I, I, I know he's a good guy. He's a good leader, but we're in a production business. Your three-hole hitter cannot have a 688 OPS. It's just a reality. And it's the wear and tear of the everyday process of catching that eventually beats up all these catchers. He's got, he's got big money left on his deal. He's beloved. But what do you do with this guy? Well, I think one thing that's really important to note there with the way Gabe handled that is that Buster was sitting about 15 feet from him. Uh, Buster was the player representative there today, and so if you heard him continually refer to Buster, I, I do think part of that is because Buster was sitting right there. <laughs> now, um, I also know that, that Farhan, both today and last night when he came on KMBR, um, he talked about one of the things that, that, that drew him to Gabe was that Gabe was – was not going to be necessarily emotionally tied to those guys and not be afraid um, to, uh, to let the numbers do the talking and, and let the production do the talking. So even though, you know, he even made mention at one point of panda hats and baby giraffes in the stands. And, you know, panda is a free agent and, and belt is a part of a ton of trade rumors. So I, I think that that might have been Gabe just trying to sort of, um, you know, show the fan base that, He's aware of the history. He's aware of who's there and, and what kind of makes the current fan base tick. But I wouldn't read a whole lot into those comments in terms of that's what it's going to mean when the lineup actually comes out. There, there's an entire offseason of roster building and maneuvering. And, and as, as you know, uh, Farhan is brilliant with that, and, uh, and that will be his job. And then, uh, you know, once, 
once we get to uh, to April, then Gabe can take it from there. You know, the reality in the National League West, the Dodgers have won it seven straight years. That's a record. And the Padres are bringing back their brown uniforms. And, oh, isn't that great? And the Diamondbacks still – the reality is everybody's playing for a wild card. It's, it's so hard to believe, but that's just how good the Dodgers are. And, and the fact is, whoever you want to go to their farm system, the Dodgers are better at the big league level – and the Dodgers minor league system is so stacked. I mean, it's 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 hard to think when the next National League West team will actually really challenge the Dodgers for the division. Yeah, it's pretty intimidating. There's no uh, there's no question about it. I would imagine for uh, for the rest of the division. But I would also go back to then um, thinking about the time where Farhan Zaidi was presented with this job, and sure. When we're offered uh, steps up in life, we tend to take them. But he's an incredibly smart guy. You know him well. Um, does he take that job if he does not see in his mind an avenue to succeed? I don't know. Uh, but he left the Dodgers for this team, and and, and you know he knows that he's the, the right to make these decisions. It's why Gabe Kapler is here. Uh, I think he believes in his process and, and the resources that this organization uh, will definitely have and will continue to present to him. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hell of a nut to crack, man. I mean, uh, and, and, and somewhat because of his own doing. You know, some of the decisions he made with the Dodgers, uh, finding guys like Max Muncie and whatnot, are, are going to make the Dodgers very, very difficult to top uh, anytime soon. The lineup is a juggernaut. I don't necessarily know exactly – uh, what they're you know, how's Clayton Kershaw emotionally going forward in his career? Will they finally start to focus resources on the bullpen? Those are the things that have maybe stopped them from winning a World Series. But yeah, man, I, I mean, I'm with you. That that lineup, unless there are major injuries or or another team starts to really find some amazing talent, you know, then what's been happening is going to keep happening for at least a few more years. Let's end on this because, you know, a lot of my A's fans are 49er fans because when they were growing up in the East Bay, the Raiders were down in Los Angeles, so they're huge Niner fans. After that loss, which a lot of ways we can go about it. I mean, Jimmy G wasn't great. There was a lot of drop passes. It was an epic game in the end. How are 49er fans feeling after that first loss on Monday Night Football where they've lost, what, 11 of their last 12 to the Seattle Seahawks? Yeah, I, I think this actually would have been something that just was water off a duck's back except for the implications, but there's the emotional implication there as well as the rivalry. But um, I think with each night of sleep comes more perspective that the 49ers are 8-1. and one. Um, and uh, most people would have been satisfied with eight at the end of the year as opposed to the, uh, the middle of the year. Um, there are injuries that are starting to pile up, and, and that's of a concern. And the NFL uh, at large has clearly found right now something that they think at least gives them a chance against the 49ers, which is sell out against every single thing that's not Jimmy Garoppolo and make Jimmy do some things. And, um, you know, for one game he did. And for the other game, we can argue if he did or he didn't. He thought he wasn't great, but the drops, in my opinion, lost the game. And what's the health of Kittle and Sanders going forward? I don't know. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's not a disaster. There's a lot left. 
I still think that they're going to go well into the playoffs and who knows what they do when they get there. But for, for eight weeks, it felt like there wasn't a whole lot of a weakness. And now suddenly it feels like the 49ers are reverting back to that same spot of we've got a weakness in the pass catching area, or at least we're deficient when we're not fully healthy. I think that's what a 49er fan is probably feeling today. You know, that causes a little angst, but hell, Chris, what's a, what's an NFL season without a little angst? It was maybe it was going a little bit too good. And I could definitely make the case that somewhere along the road, the 49ers are going to have to, to, you know, lose a game. You have to lose a game to, to sort of, uh, you know, get all of the things that that does to you emotionally and spiritually and physically and, and all of that. And so uh, they got a great opportunity to get back on the horse this weekend and then get ready for Aaron Rodgers and Sunday Night Football. Hell with the Raiders. We're thrilled to be 5-4 and four after that odyssey of flying around right. the world. I mean, it's crazy. Win Sunday, beat the Jets. Next thing you know, you look up, you're 7-4, and four, you're right in this thing. So Bay Area football, hopefully we're going to have a good winner here and have a lot to talk about. Hey, I appreciate you stopping by. It's always great coming on your show. Great to finally have me on, your, on my show, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, bud. Former big leaguer and now does radio for the Philadelphia Phillies radio network. And he joins us here on A's Cast Live. Franny, how are you? What's up, dude? Uh, let's just say, look, I, previous station that we both worked for, stations, we weren't able to talk as often as we can over like. So I'm just excited I get to talk to you yet again. Well, we just actually had my, you know, the great thing about doing the streaming thing is that I can bring up KMBR or 95.7 and it's, it, it's not because people out there, you got to realize if you work at one of those stations, you're not allowed to mention the other station. The, yeah, for, no, for, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, what, <laughs> what, what, what are you so afraid of? You mentioned the other station that's going to change. It's just, it's ridiculous, <laughs> but uh, you gave them free advertising. That's <laughs> so <laughs> stupid. Uh, Kapler today, you know, normally when you have these press conferences, that's eh, 20 minutes, maybe then you do the pictures and all that. This press conference went for over an hour, Franny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let us say rightfully so. I, I, I guess he's answered a ton in Philadelphia over this, over the time, but it became, it, it just became a witch hunt on him, the person. I'm just kind of, I was kind of baffled by that. Um, you know, I don't know what your favorite movie of all time or sports movie is, but my favorite movie of all time is Hoosiers. And you remember when Myra Fleener, that, that's the teacher, she goes in at the town hall meeting and just basically says, uh, I, I don't think it's fair or whatever. Let's give, you know, Coach Dale a, a chance. Let's give him a chance. Give him a chance. This guy hasn't even, like, had a, an opportunity to get in front of a team, and yet, they're roasting him over something that happened four years ago. Now, is it wrong what happened four years ago? Yes. But did that need to be the number one subject today in his presser? That, that, that's the biggest thing. And, and look, the first person that has to ask a question is always out to, you know, find the truth and, you know, be the moral police on everything. When that's not, that, that shouldn't be the case. This should be a happy time for a good person. He's a good dude. I've told you that. Uh, the managing stuff is, you know, the stuff that's going to – he needs growth. 
And with growth, I mean, with opportunity comes growth, I think. And he's got that opportunity yet again to grow and, and, and make things better, make things right. But, it, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I thought he and Farhan answered and stood in front of the entire, you know, press corps and, and everyone and, and on TV and, and, and everything and answered the, the questions and not by a script. And I don't know if you got that feeling, but it, it just didn't feel like a script at all. It, it, it actually came from deep inside, and I appreciated that. You know, I, I only got to see a little bit of it, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on today since you actually know Gabe Kapler and you know Philadelphia yep. and you know how tough that media is. And let's face it, our media out here is really, really soft. But, Franny, this is the first time in all my years, you know, covering all the different teams since the basically around the mid-'90s, where I've ever seen a guy who right out of the gate, the the minute they mentioned it was his name, nobody liked it media-wise, nobody liked it fan-wise, and then I don't think people are going to really like it after this press conference. That's something that normally doesn't happen here in the Bay Area. Did that surprise you, the reaction? Yeah, a little bit, um, because I think the one thing that you and I, when we've talked just outside of everything, even on, you know, this is uh, the Bay Area is different than everywhere. It's the greatest place on earth. It is. It's the, the, the most diverse. It is the greatest melting pot of, of anything and everything, the most accepting of anything and everything, um, and very forgiving. I mean, I didn't sense any forgiveness by people asking questions instead of just like, I don't know, it just, it just didn't seem right. Because of everything, I, I understand the severity of the situation. I understand all that. Um, I think they answered it the way they should have, and they approached it. They didn't ignore it. They kept on going. But it, it, it was it was surprising to me that, especially in the Bay Area, um, you know, the, the the press and the fans haven't been accepting at all of this. I mean, it's I don't know. It, it's a little bit. It's a little bit odd. Um, it's a little bit of the boach, you know, more than anything, no one's ever going to be able to, uh, make up for what you're going to lose in, in having boach as a manager or not as a manager now. Um, and, and, you know, you can't fill those shoes. It's, it's just impossible. So I, yeah, I'm surprised. I mean, it, more than anything, they got to get to know him, get to know him, talk to him. He's awesome. He's very intellectual. He's very willing to learn might at times feel like he has all the answers. It's because he studied everything. It's like he, he found out something the day before about, um, you know, something in nutrition. He probably read like three or four different books on it in the next week to figure it out and see if that's right. Ask around. I mean, the guy is, the guy is willing to communicate and he, he he's, he's going to get, you know, lambasted right, right now for, for those things. But at the same time, when is it enough? When is it when you're going to be satisfied as um, a writer, as a fan? And it's over wins, right? I mean, it, it more than anything. Why did it not work out in Philadelphia? Uh, at the end of the day, they didn't win because they didn't play well. Now, is that full responsibility on cap? No. I think player-wise, they didn't, you know, some guys didn't live up to the expectations you had, you know, very inconsistent years by a lot of guys. Uh, you had a lot of injuries like everyone else does. And I, and I think 
you know, for a franchise, the Phillies don't have a very deep farm system. And, you know, you've been with the A's and seen it all the time. Look at who they bring up. Look at the youth that they have, and they continue to, you know, scout, develop, and, and, and bring in very impactful big leaguers. And that's been the very – it's been hard. I mean, in Philadelphia, they, they haven't had a lot of impactful minor league guys that come up so to deal with those injuries. So, yeah, the excuse of, man, we got, you know, had so many injuries. It's, those are brought out because, why? You, don't, you didn't have the Yankees' year. They had a ton of injuries, but what did they have? They had guys that came in, stepped up, and, and performed. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, um, I, I, this is a personal thought. I've, I've shared this with Cap. I thought um, he surrounded his, his players with not enough experience. You know, as far as coaches uh, in a lot of first time coaches doesn't mean, uh, you know, I've talked about this. You don't have to have played in the big leagues to be a big league coach. But if you weren't, you spent time in the minor leagues. You got to be a teacher still. You still got to be a teacher. You still got to be able to coach guys up. And I don't think he had enough of those guys in Philadelphia. Bobby Dickerson, Rob Thompson, and um, Dusty Wathen. Um, and, and Jim Gott. I mean, those were the experienced guys where you can look around all Major League Baseball, for the most part, I'm not saying everyone, but for the most part, um, but like the Braves, they have just, you know, uber amounts of, uh, of talent or talent of coaches that have experience of playing, like Dansby Swanson. I always bring this up. Who does, who does a young guy like him, you know, because Marcus Simeon, who had one of the most incredible years based on, if you take in the whole account of where he started at, not this year, but in previous years with Wash and how much better he's got and continue to get better. Well, Danby Swanson has Ron Washington, Eric Young Sr., Walt Weiss. You think that's good, you know, for a young shortstop to, to be able to bounce off ideas, to be able to, to, to know that a guy has been in his shoes. I mean, Walt Weiss is one of my favorite A's of all time. And I, I just remember how – how sound and, and, and fundamentally, like, just he was such a good ball player. You think that's good to be around? I mean, I, I think that's a huge thing in this deal. Surround yourself with good people, with good coaches, teachers still, and he didn't do enough of that in, in Philadelphia, and I think that played a part of it. Let's go over strengths and weaknesses. What are Kapler's strengths as a manager? Uh, he could command a room, and I think that's a, that's a huge strength. Uh I, I've told people, and they, you know, whether you find this uh, funny or not, but like, dude, we grew up when when someone talked to you, look at them straight in the eye, and and you know, you have a conversation. But uh, you know, in our world today, everyone's looking everywhere. It feels like and he commands a room, but he, if you're in a one-on-one, Cap's looking at you, and sometimes it feels weird because you're like, man, he's continuing to stare. But that's him. He understands that as a person, you're you're not going to be overlooked. Um, you know, I'm going to look you straight in the eye. I'm going to talk to you. You ask the question, I'm going to talk to you or, you know, the entire media or the entire team. Um, he has the ability in, in, in my mind, I find it, um, you know, with cap, he's, he's, he's willing to understand that he's made his mistakes in, in certain things and adjust, um, you know, whether it's game planning, whether it's pitch plan pitch game planning, um, whether it's bullpen use, whether it's, look, I, maybe I, I eased up on these guys too much. He's able to 
adjust. He's able to humble himself enough to just say, I made a mistake here. Okay, let's adjust. And ultimately, when it, if you, you know, going back to your original question, why didn't it work out? Like, look, fans in Philadelphia didn't like too much change, and they were getting a ton of change. He happened to be the scapegoat. He was in an area that were, you know, us Californians were not always accepted. You're not. And uh, I, I think in more than anything, he's going to be accepted here. It, it, over time, people listen to him and understand how consistent he is as a uh, dude. So I, I think consistency is another, you know, huge strength. Um, so weakness, you want to know weaknesses? Yeah, what's the biggest thing he's got to get better at? In-game, bullpen, uh, and I think that comes over time anyways. But again, surrounding yourself with the right people, having having the guys around you that can help you, like, hey, Cap, like, this, this needs to be – we need to make sure we stay – away from certain situations you know like thinking he, he, he's a, i've told you he's more he's more prepared than anyone i've ever been around like he's got he he's you know got everything planned out he's got like three different plans it's like you know things are scripted at, at times but um i think ultimately when it comes down to it um cap needs to understand the pitcher mentality and i think the mentality of some pitchers are they, they, he needs to understand that these guys are, are, you know, creatures of habit and certain guys, you know, every fourth day need to throw. If they haven't thrown in four days, you got to get them in there. It doesn't matter what the situation of the game is. You got to get the guy in there. Um, it, you know, certain things like that. Uh, when it comes down to, when I say scripted, I, I think there needs to be a little bit less script when it comes to talking to the media and not coming in with bullet points on certain things that he wants to get across. Just being more reactive that way. Uh, he's a, like I said, he's a special human being because he wants to get to know the person, the people, the, the, the player. Um, and, and I think sometimes in trying to understand everyone, it, it, it takes over the, um, uh, the perception of, of, of maybe like they could run on run all over him. You know what I mean? Like at, at times there's not this like I'm just gonna blow you off. Sometimes just a, a, a manager or a coach blowing you off for just like one day, it's a huge thing, right? It kind of puts you on <laughs> on alert. You had it with Sam, you know. If, if Coach Pete never Coach Perman never talked to you that one day, you're like, oh my god, oh my god. But that's an authoritative figure, and it's not about being scared, but it's about that respect factor. And not always buddy buddy with the whole thing. Um, I, I think it's huge. And the last one I'll, I'll, I'll bring up is uh, weakness wise. I think rules. You got to have some rules. It can't be just the players' clubhouse where anything goes. Uh, you know, you can wear whatever you want on a plane. You need to have some respect for for the game. And it's okay to be authoritative. It's okay to have rules. It's not a bad thing. It doesn't mean you're a jerk. It just means that you're in control. And, and I really think that, that 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 needs to help maybe a little bit and change for uh, for Cap. Yeah, that's that, and it kind of reminds me of what what happened in San Diego with Andy Green, where people said, "Hey, the guy's brilliant. Like, it's all in his mind. Like, he doesn't need to bring spreadsheets. He doesn't need to have analytics. It's all he is so freaking smart." But what people need to understand is, and I think that's where we're so lucky with Bob Melvin is Bob Melvin is super smart. Uh. 
But Bob Melvin knows how to manage the players. He knows how to manage the coaches. He knows how to manage the front office. You got to be able to manage up. You got to be able to manage down. I don't care how smart you are, Franny. You're still in the business of people. You got to be able to manage the humans. Yeah. And you know what's weird is that, like, at times, he's so so good with the upper management and being able to talk to him and and have that. It's like if that comfort level plus, um, the authoritative figure, you know, could come out at the same time. I think that changes things. I I do. I mean, it it, it sucks because I know the world we live in, uh, everyone wants, you know, every mom and dad that has a little, my son needs to play more. He's an all-star. He's going to get a scholarship. Like, no, you're not. Like there needs to be realities. And there's a reality check that needs to happen in major league baseball. And that reality check needs to be, look, this guy's a manager. And he is trying very hard to understand you. But if you don't think that he's an authoritative figure, then I, I like, let's, let's take this for example, Gene Segura a couple times this year. And, and I don't mean to call him out, but I, I mean, I've talked about it on air, like during games, he jogged out a few times, didn't hustle. The effort wasn't there. And it could have been a message to the entire team of taking him out. But instead, he let it be, let it fester, and then it happened to another guy, a couple, you know, like a week or two later, and Michael Franco, and, and he took him out. And then kind of blamed it on an injury, but he really took him out for hustle. And it, it just didn't match up. And for me, just starting shortstop, jogs it out, and, and isn't showing the hustle or desire that he has on the field, you could send a message to the entire clubhouse. This isn't going to be tolerated. You know, I'm not saying you have to go 100 miles an hour down to first base, but at least put an effort in, get to first. And I think that would be um, a big deal in, in, in dealing with the aspect of, of showing a little bit of, of authority. Let's end on this. You know, everybody at every level is trying to steal signs. That's part of the game. But when you start doing it with cameras and watches and that's when baseball has to step in. We have known for the past couple of years through our green and gold lenses here that stuff has been going on. There's been multiple clubs that have reported the Astros. Major League Baseball hasn't done anything. But now after what happened with Brandon Taubman and they're already being investigated now they're going to be investigated again. It's funny how the Astros said they're going to investigate themselves, but where do you weigh in on stealing signs but doing it electronically? I am okay. So someone asked this on Twitter the other day. I'm like, okay, I'm all for a guy tipping pitches. That's that's on him. That's his mistake. And if you're the hitter, or you're the guy on the bench that's able to see it, and you want to relay it somehow, okay, that's fine. I mean, maybe I'm a little bit less certain with the, the relaying it from the bench. Um, what if the guy gets the signs at second base? What, what if the catcher is just going, you know, uh, you know, there's so many different sequences, let's just say, like, you know, outs plus one. So there's no outs first sign. You know, one out, that's the second sign. You can get that. You understand that. You have conversations. There's so many times that we'll talk on the bench, be like, what you got? And it's like, it's not because of a TV. It's because – Guys at second base being able to pick up a sign. What's wrong with that? Isn't it the, the fault of the catcher and the pitcher for not having complicated signs? Now, if it gets to the electronic level, I mean, come on. That, that, that just, that's just dumb. 
I've always said, like, at what point is someone going to get caught? I, I, I've said this, and I, I still think it's going to happen even after this. But, you know, like, we, we see those little earpieces that guys have in, in CIA or whatever. You know, maybe, maybe that happens. Maybe that comes down one day that, oh, someone had an earpiece in. You know? And they were getting told everything that was going on. Why not? I mean, it, and, and so is that illegal? I said, absolutely. And, but that's where we're trending. There's so many cameras everywhere. You're going to get in situations like this. Yeah, and, I, yeah. Know, someone's hey, like, hey. well, you know, stealing signs at second base, that's, that's so wrong. I'm like, what's wrong about No, that's baseball. It? No, if it's done that's by baseball. your eyes, it is beautiful. It's engaging, right? You as a teammate are engaged. And if you're doing it electronically, then you're not doing anything. You're not. It's cheating. It's different. Great stuff as always, buddy. Keep your phone on. We'll be calling soon. You're the man. Appreciate it. When you talk about a host in sports, really nobody better. Whether you're talking MLB Network, NFL Network, you ball, you get the call. Chris Rose with us once again here on A's Cast Live with Chris Towns. And Chris, how are we doing here in the offseason? We're doing great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. You're like me. It's like baseball we're in the offseason, but you know, I also work for the Raiders, so we just go from one season to the another. It's absolutely great in football right now. And where where we are pretty wild here in the Bay Area with the 49ers and the Raiders still in it. It's uh we could have a special a special winner here in the Bay Area during the NFL. You already got it, man. It's been fun. Um you know, the Raiders thing looked like it could have been a disaster at the end of hard knocks and with the helmet issue and all that sort of stuff, but I'll give those guys credit. You know, they've they've rallied, they're a fun watch. Um They've got a lot of good young talent. They did a nice job rebuilding that offensive line rather quickly. And uh, I still would like to see them give Derek Carr a few more opportunities down the field. I I know he doesn't have great, great personnel out wide, but, um, you know, I think he's going to have to make a few critical throws if they're going to end up making this wild card or even chase down the Chiefs, which, you know, I mean, I know they've got a shot at it. It's not – Great, but a decent shot. Um, and as far as the Niners go, man, they've been they've been really, really good so far, and they're one of probably five teams in the NFC that are going to have a shot at the Super Bowl. You know, being down at uh, Scottsdale at the general managers' meetings and just hearing about the Cubs and Theo Epstein talking about how there are no untouchables. I mean, we thought this off season was going to be about Boris and his clients. But if the Cubs start offing some guys here, they could change the landscape of this offseason. I mean, you've got a ton of great players. I thought their window of opportunity was still open. How do you see the Cubs really playing this this offseason? Well, regardless of what they do, their window is still going to be open. I mean, they're not doing this to, to tear things down. Um you know, the thing is, is that when you have a lot of young guys that come up together, you're usually not going to pay all of them. It's just, it's just the nature of the beast. So somebody's going to have to go. Um, you know, I, I suppose Wilson Contreras is probably at the top of that list with everything you read. Uh, they could put Caratini behind the, uh, behind the dish and go get a veteran, um, whether that's a, a Travis Darno or, or somebody else to split the duties with him back there and maybe end up getting a young pitcher because, I mean, that's kind of where they 
are really struggling in my opinion. You know, I mean, Lester, you know, is it the last year of his deal? There's an option after that with a $10 million buyout. Uh, it sounds like Hamels is going to go, uh, you know, Quintana and Hendricks have been, uh, have been fine. Um, but they definitely need, I think they need another arm there. They need to revamp that bullpen a bit and they need to kind of clear up, you know, they have to kind of follow the, the model that the Dodgers did last year where they traded Kemp and they traded Puig and that allowed Bellinger to be a starter every day and to lock in Peterson strictly as the left-handed bit bat against right-handed pitching. I still think there's too many guys that can play, every, you know, 85% of the time on that roster that are only getting 60% of the playing time. You know, having been in Cleveland earlier this year with the A's and, you know, seeing all these little kids with Lindor on the back of their jerseys and jerseys, and I understand is, you know, where he is right now, a couple of years away. So his value is probably greater than ever before. And we've heard the rumors about the Dodgers, and I know you're a big Cleveland fan. Just for me, after seeing that, I just think, man, if he got traded, what a travesty that be for all those kids in Cleveland. Yeah, but you know it. It's the market that we're in. This is nothing that's – it's not breaking news, you know. Uh, attendance is poor. The TV deal's not great. Uh, the people in the town do um, watch the Indians on TV. They have, I think last year they had the second highest local television rating. Um, so people consume it. It's just, listen, the city's lost business over the last 15 to 20 years. And they can't afford a guy that's going to make several hundred million dollars. So the, you know, the question is, when do you pull the trigger? I mean, do you feel like the twins are so far ahead of you that you can't make a run if you're healthy, unlike they were last year? No. Is there anybody else that's kind of coming up? I mean, the twin, the, uh, Royals and the Tigers are still distant away. Um, and then the White Sox probably are going to try and make a big step forward this year. But he's going to be traded. The question is, is it now, is it next summer, or is it next offseason? And if it's next offseason, you're going to get not much, I think. So as hard as it is to swallow on this, now is the time. The Indians aren't saying now's the time, but now is the time. So I think about the Bay Area media, and you know up here it's pretty soft. It is what it is. But for the first time, and God, I've been doing this since about the mid-90s. I've never seen this before where whether it's a manager, whether it's a head coach, it gets announced that a guy's going to be hired, and immediately everybody's against it. And then while you guys were doing intentional talk today is when they introduced Gabe Kapler – and after an hour-plus long press conference, and those usually don't go an hour, not even close, and Kapler talked a lot, I'm getting the sense that people are even doubling down even more that they don't like it. It's very strange that that happens in our area. Usually it's root, root, root for the home team around here. Uh, how shocked are you that it's been a real negative reaction to, Dave, to Gabe Kapler being the guy to replace Bruce Bochy? Well, it depends. What, what are – most people negative about in your opinion it's either going to be what happened with him and the dodgers and the allegations uh-huh. about the young girl it's going to be that or the fact that uh don't like the personality and the guy coming from philadelphia okay well if it's the first thing um everybody has their right to be upset with that and 
uh, with the way that things were handled because it, it was awful, right? And so if you're not going to um, turn the page, that's totally up to you as a fan or a media member or that's fully your right. And so there's there's that side of it. And then there's the baseball side of it. And um, there's been a lot of managers who were better the second time around. Now, not a lot of them had to wait only four weeks to get another job. In some cases, they had to wait years. Um, so that's uh, – I understand it. I mean, you know, in 2018, in the middle of August, they were in first place, and then they go 15 and 31 down the stretch. And it's not all because of injuries. You know, I mean, there's, there's some bad decisions that were made. But, you know, I did like what he said about – that he spoke with Bruce Bochy about the adjustments that Boch made between San Diego and his move to San Francisco. And Bochy was obviously much more successful in San Diego than, than Gabe Kapler was in Philadelphia, but he also had, you know, a decade down there as opposed to just two years. So, I mean, it, you know, if that's your problem, is it strictly about baseball? Well, then where did you want to go? I mean, did you want to go to an unproven guy or did you know, where else would you have liked it? I always say that when you're upset about a head coaching hire in the NFL or a managerial hire in baseball, I always say, where would you have rather gone? You tell me. Yeah, I think a lot of people would like the bench coach for the Houston Astros. I just thought it was very odd. Okay, but, okay, but hold on. That, that's fine. And Joe's bottom might, might turn into a great manager. Might. But, I mean, so you're going to take a guy that's totally unproven and might be overmatched as opposed to a guy who has at least been through it twice and can possibly learn from his mistakes. It's po- I mean, I'm just throwing that out there. I just find it hilarious when people are like, oh, yeah, we missed the boat. And maybe you did. I don't know. But it's just, uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't like he went 60 and 102 both years. Oh, I mean, the climate has changed. We're taking guys out of the TV booth now and put them in, and sometimes it works, sometimes yep. it doesn't. Carlos Beltran right. hasn't managed. So, I, I mean, you really don't know. I just thought it was very strange because, you know, I mean, up here, normally when a guy gets hired, it's not negative from the start. Usually they got to earn that negativity before it happens. Yeah, I mean, I, listen, there's, um, like I said, people can be upset with the whole – Gabe Kapler situation down in LA. I, you know, I mean, that's, that's a tough one for me personally as well. And, you know, I've known Gabe for a long time. I I have not talked to him about that. I haven't seen him in person since all this stuff came to fruition, but I've read the same stuff that everybody up there has read. And, you know, some people will say, well, that doesn't matter to me because I'm just a baseball fan. That's all I care about. That's your choice too. And some people are going to say, I won't ever get past it. And that's okay, too. You know, we all kind of have to individually deal with this stuff. And um, and then the baseball stuff, too. It's just a, you know, at the end of the day, if you're going to complain, it's like when we, when we talk about the NCAA tournament. Well, I can't believe that team got in. Well, then tell me which team you want to take out. Because you can't just keep adding teams. So I'd like to hear that sort of stuff. Yeah, speaking about complaining, and this is something, you know, from the A side we've known for the past couple of years, 
with the whole accusations of what's been going on at Minute Maid Park with the Astros. Has been there's been multiple teams that have complained to Major League Baseball. How'd you feel about that report about the Astros coming out in the Athletic? Well, obviously there's a problem in baseball. There just is, and um, you know I know they in the column they said that it's not just an Astros problem. Uh, but when a guy goes on the record like Mike Fires and says, hey, let, yeah, listen, I was part of this. I saw it. Um, that's a real issue. That's, that's, and I hope Major League Baseball takes it seriously because it's one thing to be stealing signs at second base. That's part of the gig. But when we're talking about unfair advantage uh, because of technology, that's a real, real problem. That rubs me the wrong way. It smells of Spygate. I don't like it. Um, you know, who knows what sort of punishment they can dole out. But I'll be, I will can't wait to get to the winter meetings and talk to some other teams about it um, and feel, you know, kind of get a response as to what they feel like the punishment should be. Yeah, that's going to actually be real interesting to see because not only have, you have the Brandon Taubman deal that they're dealing with, they're investigating, so – what happens with MLB and the Houston Astros will be fasting this offseason. Before we let you go, put your NFL back, your NFL hat back on. As we're getting in here to November and then December, what are the things you're most interested in here as we're getting past the middle of the season and, and we're heading to the second half? Well, I want to see if uh, if the Ravens can, you know, take that top seed away from the Patriots. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson's been phenomenal. Uh, and then I, like I said at the beginning of this call, was that it feels like there's five or six teams in the NFC that can really win this. It's not the same in the AFC. You know, really, you feel like maybe there's two. I mean, I guess if Mahomes goes nuts, that that they could end up winning it. But you know, I would take New England and Baltimore against the field in a second. Uh, so definitely watching those, and um, and I wonder if Russell Wilson can continue his run because it's been nothing short of sensational. And I would say that, you know, he would be my MVP vote. Chris, we always appreciate the time. We'll be down the winter meetings in San Diego. Hopefully we'll be able to hook up down there. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. He's fascinating to talk to. One of the smartest guys we have in our game. One of the most talented guys we have in our game. And now doing a radio show. On satellite, Trevor Bauer with us once again from the Cincinnati Reds. Trevor, thank you for coming on A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. How is your offseason going so far? Oh, man. Uh, hasn't been much of an offseason. I've been traveling a lot. Been probably busier this offseason than I was during the season. Um, but it's been fun. It's been enjoyable, been productive, um, trying to sleep enough. <laughs> so it's been good. So what do you what have you been doing so far this off season that you're so busy? Oh man, well, uh, running two companies and um, well, actually, you know, running one company and launching a second company and uh, baseball, uh, you know, training, research, um, running some R and D projects with my analysts. Uh, so that takes a lot of thinking and and time. Uh, I've been traveling quite a bit. I went to uh, my dad's alma mater. Colorado School of Mines and gave a presentation on analytics and baseball to their analytics club. Um, I've been in Houston. I've been in Seattle. I went to the LSU Alabama game and then drove up to Nashville to see some of my teammates for a couple days. Just got back from that. Um, I'm going on a Nike trip 
uh, starting Sunday. So I'll be out of the country for four or five days there. And then I get back for four days and I'm in Japan for seven days and then I'm back. And then it just, I'm all over the place. By the way, how good was LSU Bama? That was a classic. That game was awesome. It was a fantastic atmosphere. Um, had everything that you hope for in a college football game. There was drama. There was a big deficit and a comeback and an answer. And the atmosphere was unbelievable. Uh, Bama does it right. It's a party in that stadium, man. That's um, the only sporting event um, that I've been to as a fan, so excluding the World Series, but I've been to as a fan that even rivals uh, how I feel about Duke basketball games. So that's uh, it was way up there on my favorite experiences list. You know, when I think about an off season for a pitcher, and you've done such an unbelievable job, and kind of like teaching everybody about how an off season should go, about redefining yourself, finding a new pitch, working on that new pitch, making yourself better. If someone was to come to you to say, hey, listen, how do I get better this offseason? I only got so much time, and I need to maximize that time, and I need to make myself better. What advice would you give them? <laughs> it's funny uh, that you asked that question. It's a perfect lead-in to what I've been doing today. Um, I get that all the time. I get people reaching out on Instagram, Twitter, um, guys that I know or guys that I don't know that get my number from someone I do know. And I'm just, I'm inundated constantly with questions uh, from, you know, all, you know, baseball players of all ages. Um, and I, I'm really passionate about helping people. I just can't help everybody in that format. Um, so I've been designing today a, uh, a new series that I'm going to be launching um, on my YouTube channel. Uh, it's going to be called Tips Tips with Trev. Uh, we're in the planning stages of it right now. I'm actually going to start filming it today or tomorrow. Um, but, yeah, basically it'll be a weekly thing that I'm just going to take some of the questions that I get asked about training or just things that I think are important about training. And, uh, and baseball in general, pitch design, nutrition, recovery, um, mental health, uh, you know, handling failure, whatever the case is. Um, I'm just going to make a – some YouTube videos, put them out there for everybody to watch. Um, that way there's, you know, if people have questions, there's, there's a resource for them, uh, coming from someone who, you know, is, is in the league and has gone through a lot of the different stuff, um, and seen, you know, a lot of success and a lot of failure along the way. So I feel like I have a pretty good platform to be able to encourage the next generation, which is something that I, you know, I'm really passionate about. So that'll be up at some point this off season. Uh, it just takes a while on top of everything I listed earlier to get that all built and filmed and edited and, and ready to go. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that and we'll help you promote that the best that we can. And, and when I think about like the off season, you know, it's like golf, you can go out and pound as many balls on the ranges as, as you want as a hitter, you can go into a cage. You can take all the BP. You can't do that as a pitcher. There's only so many times you can throw, so that's the thing about learning a new pitch or, 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 or redoing a pitch. Talk about how it's not like a hitter you can take in endless swings because you don't have endless throws. Yeah, no doubt. It's, um, it's why it's important to be able to maximize certain things um, early on in your career. You want to be able to have a, you know, a good strength base um, so that your body's able to handle uh, the volume. Obviously, if you can't, if you can't throw, then you can't work on anything. Um, and being, you know, being strong and fit is, 
one of the, the biggest things that helps you know keep you healthy. Uh, the next thing is optimizing your mechanics so that you place the least amount of stress on your body per throw um, that you that you can. Uh, so I spent a lot of my time early on in my career, you know, optimizing my delivery uh, so I can maintain a much higher throwing volume than most people, which gives me a, a larger um, opportunity, larger sample set to actually work on stuff. And then you have to go about optimizing your processes and making sure that you're actually working on the right things uh, so that you get the most out of each throw. Um, and there's been a lot of research done and time spent on on figuring those things out. Um, I'm actually I'm in the process of trying to develop an app, actually, that uh, will help people uh, with pitch design. Um, so I, I don't have enough info on that to, to talk about it yet, but um, that is something I have in the works. But, uh, you know, knowing that you have the right grip and that you're trying to do the right things um, and, and that what you're trying to create is actually going to benefit you. Like, you don't want to spend all your throws developing something that ultimately, you know, is going to make you worse or that you're not going to throw a whole lot or you don't have confidence in or, or whatnot. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. There's the analytics and, and the data behind, you know, what, what do I want to develop? What exactly do I want to get done? Where do I want to be for next season? And then there's the process by, by which you actually go about doing it, which um, you have to understand delivery and, you know, biomechanics and uh, pressure points on the hand and um, inertia and, and all these different things to really develop a process that's, um, that's optimized. And so I've spent a lot of my time doing that uh, over the last, you know, 10 years, or I guess it's more than 10 years now, 14, 15 years. Uh, but it's a lot. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's the that's the process in, in the most basic terms I can put it. You know, watching guys from college now get hired at the big league level, watching guys from, like, driveline getting hired at the big league level. We're seeing that change. Kyle Bodie is now going from driveline to the Cincinnati Reds. Talk about the evolution of the pitching coach where it doesn't have to be this old school guy that pitched way back when he's been the minors of the big leagues is that we're now allowing different minds and people who really know how to use technology to make people better are finally getting that opportunity at the big league level. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, the, the, it's like the new arms race in baseball is finding uh, the best coaches and my best coaches, I guess there's two there's two things that are really important in my eyes. Uh, you have to have the right information. So you have to really know um, the direction the game's going. You have to know the analytical side. You have to understand that what you're saying to the player is the correct thing. You don't want to tell them the wrong thing and then make them worse. But then you also have to have the people skills and the communication skills to be able to actually get through to the player and communicate that information in a way that he can understand that he can use. And generally speaking, um, that's where – um, I guess guys that have been around the game a long time excel because they can talk you know, the same language. They can share experiences, stories. You know, there's so much downtime in baseball that that's how a lot of the guys in the clubhouse communicate. It's like, oh, remember this time and this happened? And someone else will jump in and say, oh, you'll never believe that you know, I was with this guy and that happened. And so that builds trust and camaraderie. And you know, the coaches are a big part of that. So the, the super coach right now, um, again, this is you know, my opinion, but uh, the way I see it is that the super coach is someone who has played who can talk that language, but who also knows the analytical side of things um, and is making sure that, you know, the information that they're giving to the players is, is the best information. And so guys like Caleb Cotham, um, Cody Buchel, um, that have played at really high levels. Those are just two of my, you know, really close friends that are in, in high ranking positions in organizations now, but they understand the failures and the success and the, 
you know, just the rhythm of a, of a baseball season at the highest level. And they also really understand the data and can make informed decisions. That way the players don't have to think. Uh, when players have to think about that stuff consciously, you really take a risk of getting them out of their performance mindset um, and, uh, and having internal thoughts. And if they take those out to the mound, um, that's where you can get, uh, I guess, what people uh, refer to as the hips or uh, the thing or you know whatever the case is. Um, so the ideal scenario is to have a player not think at all and not have any idea really what he's doing. Um, so he's just going out there and competing and playing. But then a coach that the player trusts 100% that's giving him the right information, telling him to do the right drills, uh, and leading him down a path that um, you know kind of satisfies both of those worlds. And that's really where the game's going to go. Um, there's not a whole lot of those coaches out there, but as a as they become in higher demand and people realize that that's what they need, um, you know, the players will start to, or coaches will start to fill those molds and um, it'll, it'll be a really exciting time in the next, you know, I'd say probably two to two to five, two to seven years to see where all that goes. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating. And you know, the athletics, the Oakland A's have had their issues with the Houston Astros. It, 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 it's just, it is what it is. And now Major League Baseball is admitting there's been multiple teams that have had grievances with the Astros. And maybe we don't need to specifically say on Houston, but stealing signs and using cameras and using eye watches and using all this, that is truly illegal. And as someone who's pitching in the big leagues and you know there's cameras everywhere, there's cameras behind you, there's cameras all around you, how do you go about that as a pitcher when everybody is watching you and everybody's videoing you, and you know that there are certain teams who are using this video and even live video against you illegally? Um, it's, a, it's a complicated question. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of different ways to handle it. Um, I can only speak from you know my personal experience and my uh, kind of my mindset. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still a human game, right? You know, the hitter has to execute a swing. They have to be able to see the ball and, um, and put a swing on it. You still have a chance of getting them out, uh, if, even if they hit it. Um, so have, uh, have elite stuff that's just hard to hit, period, uh, is, is one way. And that's, you know, why I spend so much time in the offseason developing new pitches and making sure that they're outlier in some way, um, whether it's the movement profile or the velocity or whatever the case is, how they play off each other. That's the first thing. Just make your pitches as hard as like as hard to hit as possible. It's the point where you could tell a hitter what's coming and and they wouldn't hit it. Um, that's also something I play around with. There there are times where I will just literally like signal to a hitter on the mound like, hey, fastball's coming or curveball or something like that, and then throw it. So there's the mental side of things because then you put a conscious thought into the hitter's head of like, is he telling the truth or not? And then that takes him out of his performance mindset. So there's the mental side of it. It can, it can go both ways. Um, and then there's just tendencies. You know, I think the tendencies are the biggest thing. Um, you know, regardless of pitch tipping or, or whatnot, if you always throw a fastball on a 2-0 count, then the hitters can just sit on a fastball and is going to have a better chance of hitting it. So I spend a lot of time monitoring if I'm falling into tendencies on, you know, pitch types that I'm throwing in certain counts or certain locations. Um, do I only throw fastballs away? Do I throw fastballs in enough? Like what, what's the case? So that hitters can't just kind of pigeonhole me into, into one thing. And if you have an elite arsenal um, and you locate it pretty well and you don't fall into tendencies, then you're going to have success regardless because there's just not, 
that many other players in the league that have the combination of all those things. And uh, that's kind of how I approach it. Well, I can tell you, you're becoming a fan favorite out here on the West Coast. Uh, A's fans, and we have a lot of just bait Giants fans. We have a lot of Major League Baseball fans here in the Northern California that listen to the show, and it's absolutely fascinating to talk to you. And if you need help on, on launching anything, selling anything, you let us know. We're huge Trevor Bauer fans. Always appreciate the time. Good luck with all the travel. Good luck with the businesses, and hopefully we can talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. appreciate it. Shooty, how are you, my friend? A key, my friend. What's up, fellas? I just want I just want to let you know I'm getting my golf game back on track. I'm going to be ready to play soon. Oh, please call me because I'm chipping and putting right now, Townie. So um, you know that's the majority of the game. Being able to get up and down, bro. Like you and me, every day we just get up. And then we get down, and then we get right back up. Uh, I played yesterday, <laughs> about 13 holes. I looked great, and then there was a couple other ones that was blow up city. But I'm getting my game back, my friend. All right, we're, golf is a cruel game, man. We're in the off season, right now. One thing that it, you know, bringing guys like yourself on, just had Trevor Bauer on. You know, if a young player was to come to you. Because you only have so many months to maximize and to get yourself better before you got to either report to Arizona or Florida. What would you tell a young player, whether it's a minor leaguer, heck, it's a college player here, is they're going to be going away for for the winter break? How what would you recommend for somebody how to get better in a short amount of time? First of all, you cannot dwell on where you've been. You can't continue to pat yourself on the back from what you've done. You've got to understand where you are and what it's going to take you to get where you're trying to get. There are some blessed, talented, fortunate guys that are getting an opportunity to do the same thing with the same amount of talent. But what separates them is the will, the work ethic, and the grind. Don't spend all winter long in the weight room, in the mirror, trying to see how swole you can get, putting on oil and shining up for the ladies in the gym and stuff, man. Work on your craft. If you're an infielder, take a zillion ground balls. You got to work on bat-to-ball contact skills. You got to work on angles. You got to work on jumps. You got to work on routes. You got to work on the meat and potatoes of the game because that's what separates the players from the players. And if you look at the World Series, the Houston Astros pretty much got played by some players. So that's the difference for me. If I had my choice to tell a young man, I would tell him and keep it real with him and tell him, don't let up, don't let nobody outwork you and work on your craft. You know, and I think there, those numbers that are coming out from StatCast and the success of hitters, when you start talking about making contact, you start talking making hard contact, when they start talking about that exit velocity of 95 miles an hour or higher – Man, these guys are hitting for high average, Sudi. There's something about still making that quality contact, and it doesn't have to go out of the ballpark. But as long as you make that good, quality, hard contact, boy, it's going to play for you big as a hitter. Well, contrary to what some people believe, making contact consistently on a guy that's throwing 90, close to 100 miles per hour, and then got something else in his bag, 
uh, is easy, then they've been drinking too many adult beverages. This is one of the most difficult things to do, to square up a baseball with consistency. If you can do that, you live with the results because if you square it up, most of the time good things will happen, and most of the time it is a quality at that because it's difficult to do. So um, you're exactly right, right, Tony. When you make consistent hard contact, big things have a chance to happen. You know, and, and, and thinking about the Astros, they're so controversial right now. We won't get into the controversial part. We'll get on the things that they do well. You're not going to beat them, Shooty, in a 162-game season, whether you're playing them or you're playing around them in the same division. If you're striking out a lot, you're not going to be able to go win for win for them because their pitchers strike out more than anybody, and their hitters just don't strike out. They make They make contact, so it's like – you want to see people kind of morph into that style of offense of good at bats, making contact, the all or nothing teams. For some reason, you're just not going to win as many games as them. You just have no shot at it. Well, there are people that have concepts and they have theories and there is fact and there are numbers. And if you look in the hall of fame, there are hall of famers that have put those numbers up. And I have not heard one of them buy into this new theology of doing one thing one way. It's not that easy. This is a game of adjustments. What makes you special is that you are an individual that can do something a little different, that can speed somebody up or something. There's something peculiar about you that they just can't figure out. If everybody's doing the same thing, it's pretty easy to defend you. Man, Tony, this is – I don't know. Sometimes you can think too much. And, you know, some people, you don't want them to think. You just want them to go out there and be themselves. So, man, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how we continue to grow the game in the way that we are as far as the way we approach it. But I just know them dogs, them dudes that slob at the mouth, them guys that fight, that can spread out and choke up and make contact and fight off pitches and wear them pitches out. Those are the dudes that those pitchers hate to see. They don't care nothing about these guys with this uppercut and going up there hacking and swinging and striking out. Last I checked, the only thing in life that's good in striking out is bowling, and we're not using a 16-pound ball here. That is correct. (laughs) And in bowling, you can have pitchers of beer with you. You don't have that in baseball. striking out man do you know how i used to feel going back to the dugout facing your teammates that you don't went up there and got served up by somebody that's throwing some doo-doo up there i mean now you got guys just going up there just blowing it up guys and they just swinging out there really is man so uh, a little more pride i like to see a little more pride in it that um in the inability to have a quality at bat and strike out and act like you care a little bit um that is the one thing that i don't like about the new thing in baseball is that striking out is not that bad of a deal yes it is bad strikeout all right so when i start thinking about the a's this offseason obviously everybody's looking to retool their bullpen we've talked about second base before but one thing that hasn't really been talked a lot about is chris davis obviously when chris davis hit that wall in pittsburgh while he was playing left field he wasn't the same after what needs to happen with Chris Davis this offseason to get Chris Davis back to being the killer we knew before he got in, He hit that wall in Pittsburgh? Well, one thing that I've learned about being with this organization in the early stage as a professional scout is that they don't talk shop and they don't talk clubhouse business. I don't know what's wrong with Chris Davis, but you're absolutely telling We do know that it was obvious that he was not the same guy after that collision in Pittsburgh. 
but I'm going to give Chris Davis some credit, and I'm also going to spread a little blame to him because if you were hurt and didn't say anything, not only were you hurting yourself, but you were hurting your team. And I'm all about a guy that doesn't mind playing hurt, that not, don't mind playing a little banged up. But, man, looky here. He didn't make not one excuse about it, and he went out there and won. People don't know that the kid had his first kid this year. He went through some things, signed a new contract, trying to live up to the expectations of the big money. We found somebody that went 40, 40, 40 three years in a row. So, I mean, Gene Bernie, we know it's in there. You just don't go from sugar to Shinola in one bad season. So I expect Chris Davis, a guy with a lot of pride and a lot of heart, to come out here and beat some people upside the head this year because that's what the Oakland A's paid him to do. And I think about pitching that's coming up right now, and I think about the guys that are already here, about having the depth and have the quality at the big league level, having it down at the AAA level, having it at the AA level. You can speak to this as much as anybody. Just talk about the amount of depth there is with starting pitchers throughout the organization. Oh, we, Tony, if we get these guys healthy um, that we were counting on the past couple of years, he's not uh, real cotton. Comes with his own Manaya is the truth. I mean, we got bounce back from other guys. We got young kids that are coming. You always talk about, you know, you need seven or nine guys coming out of spring training. This is a team. I mean, Daniel Minden is a guy that I've always liked because he's a competitor and he gets pissed off when people um, doubt him. If there's no doubt right now about where he fits in with this rotation next year, then he's not paying attention either. And he knows that. But this guy's a quality major league starter, and you can't say that about a lot of organizations having those type of numbers problems. So it's going to be a great spring training of competition. There's going to be guys that are fighting for jobs. There's going to be guys that spent the whole year in the big league going to find themselves in Las Vegas this year because it's that, that type of competition you know, within that roster. You know, everybody wants to talk about the 25-man roster, but the reality is you're not going to win anything unless you have depth with the 40-man roster. No question. You saw that carousel we had last year in the bullpen, and it's been that way in the past, and I think that's why you have to commend the people that are in charge. They just don't pay attention to what's going on today. They look down the line and what potentially needs that you may have, and the one thing that we always talk about coming out of spring training, seem like County, is depth, depth in the bullpen, because we know, especially this day and age, you better have all kind of arms up and down that bullpen because it's become a bullpen game. These guys are short blasts short, short, white guys. They could be Cy Young this year, and they could be Looney Tune next year. You just don't know when it's going to happen. So um, I expect our uh, front office to be very busy like they always are, looking for that blue chip reliever that's going to fit right in and do some of the things that guys have done that have just stepped in that no one saw coming. So, uh, man, it's going to get warmed up here pretty soon, Tony. If there was some team to be worried about in the American League West, not named Houston, not named Oakland, who would that be for you next year? Um, I just don't see the competitive balance in that division. I think it's clear cut who the first best two teams are in the division. Seattle has cleaned house, and they're a young team uh, trying to rebuild over there. I thought Texas played over their skis. Uh, They'll be different. Uh, Anaheim, if they get Cole and Strasburg, it could be a whole nother world in the American League West because the one thing that they're lacking is starting pitching and bullpen depth. And it's hard to get that all in one offseason and fulfill all your needs. And their holes are pretty big 
It's not like plugging a gap. I mean, it, it, it's a big old hole there that they need to fill. You know, one guy that's available, left-handed bat, and there's a lot of people looking for left-handed bats with some power, is Cole Calhoun of the Angels, no longer going to be with the Halos. What do you think he's got left, and what kind of fit do you be? Do you think he'd be for a ball club? It all depends on what ball they're using. I mean, this dude hit 220, 230 with 30-something bombs, and uh, I just don't see that. I've watched him ever since that he's came on the scene with um, Anaheim. I thought that he's been the most underrated defensive um, right fielder in the game. He can throw. He cuts down the running game. Guys don't go first to third. Um, I think he lays out a little too much at times, but, you know, that's the flavor of the business now. But defensively, he's one of the top in the game. Um, offensively, um, I'm just not buying into the power right now, and he doesn't make enough consistent contact um, if the power um, goes south for some reason. You mean you mean we use different balls in different years, Shooty? I didn't know that. Well, I don't know. Tommy, they come out with a different Pro V every year. <laughs> one goes further than the other one. So. <laughs> I know. Pro one X. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, so we we'll see what twenty twenty. Uh, what that ball looks like, man. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, bro. That's for sure. They only hit two thousand more home runs in the minor leagues than they ever before in Triple A. Joke, man. I'm so disappointed. I just didn't get a chance to take BP with one of those balls. I could have looked very big um, in BP, man. I see little guys hitting balls where only huge men hit them. So I don't know. They talk about the ozone layer every day. Maybe it's the ozone layer, man. I, I, that's a little bit over my pay scale. I, I, I want to put you in a time machine and, and bring bring Shooty back. You might be a 40-40 guy now. Man, look at here, man. Isn't that amazing? That's why I tell young kids today, man, live your life, enjoy your youth, maximize your potential, man, because you're going to look up like, be like you and I, Tony, talking about how young and handsome we used to be, bro. <laughs> keep that phone on my friend we're gonna be calling please do county man thanks for keeping me involved man um uh, we're gonna have a big year this year looking forward to it matt thomas coming on today here on a's cast live with chris townsend host of the astros pre and post game show on their flagship station matt thank you so much for taking the time today yeah i wish we were calling under different circumstances but i guess i know in a lot of questions you're going yeah, no doubt about it, and it's not easy. And as I said, I was in Houston not too long ago. Uh, it wasn't good then, and now what's what's happening? And Because let's face it, in less than a month, in all my years covering sports, and I cover the NFL, the NBA, and just like you do, and I have never seen one organization in less than a month have two different investigations put on by Major League Baseball, the NFL, or the NBA. It's less than a month now Major League Baseball is having to come in and do investigations, and also the Astros now having to do two different uh, internal investigations. It's just not something you see often in sports. Well, let me just give you the the spectrum of this. You have the Rookie of the Year in Jordan Alvarez. You have Justin Verlander. Either him or, or Garrett Cole was going to win the Cy Young. And then you had uh, this amazing September run where Alex Bregman is trying to beat Mike Trout out for the MVP. So he's going to finish worst-case second. Astros win their playoff series, hard fought against Tampa Bay. Dramatic Jose Altuve home run to win the American League pennant. I mean, things could not have been any better around these parts. The Tottenham situation uh, makes it a very ugly situation. And then the fact that no one seems to want to win a home game of the World Series. Chris, it was painful. 
Uh, you fought all season long to the Astros to win 100 and whatever games there were, 107. So that's going to have home field. So if it indeed needed to go to a game seven, you could have 43,000 crazy Astro fans. At the end of the day, it did not matter. So you lose that. You lose Garrett Cole, who doesn't pitch in game seven, much to the chagrin of the Astro fans. Then you have Garrett Cole put his Scott Boris cap on not moments after the game is over with to basically say, I'm hereby telling you I'm a free agent. And then you have this. So needless to say, it has been a excuse me, very tumultuous time around these parts because I still think going to Game 7 of the World Series as the American League champion is to be celebrated. But right now, at least for today, it's in the rearview mirror. You know, you just did a really great job breaking that down and uh, hitting the nail, I mean, perfectly. Because, yeah, that's a wild roller coaster ride because there's such great things there. And, you know, we talk to Jeff Blum and Steve Sparks all the time throughout the season, and we're going to want to have you on next season. And and the Astros are a great club, and you're trying to go for two World Series in three years, and you're setting up a dynasty. But then we start to find – and Evan Drellich has done a great job in the athletic, covering a lot of things now, Astros, and just the culture of what's happening. And and this – from the outside looking in, the the lack of institutional control – Let's just start with the whole cheating in 2017. This is now being linked to to Cora and Beltron with with, with the Red Sox and, and the Mets. Uh, you know, there was acquisitions coming up in the ALCS about what was going on with the Yankees, and everybody and, and is ah, it's not that big of a deal. But all of a sudden, now we know there was something really going on in 2017. What what are people thinking down there, and what's happening right now? Well, the first question uh, came to mind from my audience was, can the Astros get their World Series revoked? And, and I don't think that's going to happen. No. Um, I just can't. I just can't see that happening. So uh, that puts some at ease. Some are concerned about whether or not they're going to lose draft picks. But you know, just be, in Major League Baseball, more so than the other sports, you can survive on not hitting on your first and second round picks. You don't want to because the Astros were built thanks in large part to Alex Bregman and George Springer and Carlos Correa, all first-round picks. So this is how the Astros built and who became who they are. Um, international pool money for free agents, that's really not going to be top of mind for the audience. But the question is going to be suspensions. And do you lose your field manager? How much did A.J. know about this? How much uh, did players know about this? How much did, did the baseball operations get involved in this? Does Jeff Luneau, the Consider one of the best executives in baseball to craft this team after, you know, three straight 100 loss seasons followed by three straight 100 win seasons. Does does that guy miss some time? So, you know, again, I don't know any more than you do at this point, Chris. I just think people are very, very nervous. It went from honestly, everybody does it. Who cares? To I think Major League Baseball is out for blood, and I think they can smell it right here in Houston, Texas. And it makes me sad because Chris and I'm a broadcaster, but I've been an Astro fan since I was a kid. A.J. Hinch and I do a weekly radio show together. We're very close, and I'm such a big fan of him both on and off the field. So I'm selfishly trying to separate the sportscaster from the fan, but it's tough right now because, I'm de- again, I'm definitely afraid that Major League Baseball is going to find out a lot of information, and they're going to want to make sure the Astros are used as an example to say, if you're doing it, you better stop it because we're going to pin the Astros against the wall, even though they are a team that has gone to the World Series two times in the last three years, and we're going to make an example out of them. 
Yeah, Matt, I, I, I know exactly how you feel. We have very similar jobs. As I actually, I'm a full-time pl- employee of the athletics, and I do the Bob Melvin show. I do the David Ford show every single week, and you get so connected to these people, and you're such a fan uh, of the franchise. And as you said, you grew up an Astros fan. It's very, very tough. And, and I was thinking, after the debacle of the way they handled the Brandon Tobin situation, that they were Major League Baseball was basically like, okay, you guys really screwed this up. Fire the guy. We'll deal with this after the World Series, after the awards. I was of the belief more stuff was coming down just based on the way the organization handled the Tobin situation. And then now you throw this on top of that. I, it's just like you're throwing gasoline on top of already a fire. So the question is going to be, Chris, honestly, was this 2017 through 2019? Was this just 2017? Because if it was just 2017, from what I understand, Major League Baseball told everybody after the Yankees and the Red Sox got caught doing a similar type of thing, all right, back off, no more of this. And I think that's where I think people are still very much in a wait and see. If the Astros did not take the narrative from Major League Baseball to end any sort of illegal activity, then this is going to be 10 times worse. If this was just rehashing old 2017, I think that's where you can get a clear separation in whether or not the Astros are going to be penalized to a lesser extent with a fine or with a higher extent of suspension. So I I hate to tell you this, but this is what we're kind of sitting around here for. We're waiting. We're staring at people. We're looking at people's Twitter accounts, the, the Nightingales and the uh, the Buster Olneys, and obviously the Athletic has been heavily involved with this, just hoping more stuff doesn't come out. What I will not do is I will not spend hours of my life like some fans have done to say, hey, remember this came in back in July. Remember this came in September. You can do that, and that's fine, but Major League Baseball is much smarter than that. They're not going to take a Yankee fanboy and say, all right, well, he's got the gospel. So that's why I discount that, and I value, frankly, more what I'm seeing from the national folks that I would hope wouldn't have an agenda on this, although some people here in Houston believe that they do. You know, it was fun being down in Houston with the Raiders during the World Series, and, you know, we actually went over to the Rockets game on Saturday night, and nobody was there. It was like a preseason game. Well, you heard me then. <laughs> well, that, that was the thing. It was like it was like everybody's watching the World Series. No one's even watching. We, we went to the Rockets game, and there was like 8,000 people there. It just shows like well, how fired up everybody is. You also do the Rockets I'll give game? I'll the worst case. I'm the play-by-play on the road for the Rockets, and I'm in Washington, D.C., calling a Rockets-Wizards game. Okay, that was weird point number one. As soon as we were done with a 159-158 victory, the big screen at the Capital One Arena put the Astros Nationals on. I was literally the only Hatfield in a group of McCoys of 15,000 people deep. So it it has been beyond surreal uh, how this was going down is how you're trying to watch one team will support the other. So, yeah, it, it should have been the most amazing time in the world. It was still good. It was still very disappointing in how things turned out. But the craziest part of it is, is that you go from uh, game seven on your home field, not being able to win a single game of the World Series, to seeing Garrett Cole harshly exit out of the lock, a clubhouse after the game, to the Bradman Tobman aftermath, and to now this. So, uh, needless to say, we're not. We're not bumping around town beating chest over Verlander winning the MVP and Jordan Alvarez winning the rookie of the year. Like, I think, frankly, 
most teams would normally do. Yeah, and you should, but unfortunately it's not there. And It's great to see Verlander get that award, really cement him as he will be a first ballot Hall of Famer, no question, going into the Hall of Fame. And I know uh, your situation, this is not going to be an easy question, but I have to ask it. As someone who is a around the organization, and we've had Evan Drellich on this program multiple times and reading his work and talking to him, and when people say that working inside for the Astros is not easy and it's been tough and people have left and, and people have left very unhappy and not a great working environment, and you can walk on eggshells on this, just what, yeah. what have you really heard about what it's like to work inside for the Houston Astros? Uh, to be brutally honest, I've never had someone come up to me and say, Matt, I can't work for this organization. Is it perhaps a challenge, more challenging than in other places? Yeah, I could say that. Do I believe the analytics drive the organization perhaps more than any other team in baseball? I firmly believe that. Uh, you know, I don't know Jeff Leno all that well. We've done some weekly shows together over the years. He always says hello to me. I say hello to back. He's come on my show multiple times. Um, but I'm, I'm only going on hearsay. So I don't know. I can just tell you this, that the Baltimore Orioles have pegged a member of the front office of the Astros to come run their organization. A member of the Astros organization now is running the general manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. So if it was so bad and so brutal, other teams would not want to grab employees from there. That doesn't mean that yeah, working conditions can't be tough. It doesn't mean that Jeff Leno can't be a hard general manager to work for. It doesn't mean there can't be people that are leaving year after year. That's everybody. That's fair for conjecture. But I can just tell you that uh, jealousy comes into play for an organization that it was so bad for so long that built it from scratch that worked and they're doing very successful. And now that you have two other general managers, they were direct uh, people under Jeff Leneau now running baseball teams. So I don't know if that's good or bad, Chris, to be honest with you. I'm just telling you, I don't, I mean, I can't imagine it being easy, but I don't think people in Houston particularly care if it's easy to work for the Astros or not. This is a baseball city that was dormant for such a long period of time until the organization was stripped to the bottom floor and then built from scratch. And we've, uh, you know, experienced three years of unprecedented exceptional baseball in this community. What was the reaction to Nolan Ryan leaving and Reed Ryan being uh, demoted, essentially? Uh, from what I understand, Nolan's personal services slash assistance to the general manager contract was to end, was ended in March. So, um, yeah, it was a little abrupt, uh, frankly. Uh, Reed and I, Reed does a weekly segment with me, and we, he and I are very close. We're the same age, went to high school, not with com competing, but around the same area. Um, Reed was really a very, very favorable face of the organization. A lot of shaking hands, a lot of kissing babies, a lot of community activist-type uh, things, and really a nice face of the franchise. So we were all a little startled uh, about his departure. Um, and clearly, if you read uh, between the lines, I'm sure no one wasn't happy either. So I don't think any of the things that have gone on with Todman or with what's going on with this video stuff has anything to do with the business side of things. Now, I'm sure that Reed was privy to some things, absolutely, because he's the president of business, business operations, or was. Uh, but I, I don't correlate all those three things together is the reason why Reed and, and Nolan are no longer part of the organization, at least on a full-time basis. Well, the good thing for you is the ball club is still stacked and has as much talent as anybody. Uh, let's get your baseball hat on. Let's get away from the issues. As you mentioned, Garrett Cole with the uh, Scott Boris hat on immediately, which was rough. Uh, he's going to want a ton of money. So 
going forward, yep. do you think they have a shot to re-sign Garrett Cole? And if they don't, what direction do you think they go in? They have no shot at him. Uh, he's going to want to make $35 million a year, my guess, seven, eight years, you know, looking to break the bank. Um, this is his first opportunity for agency. I don't blame him. He's the premier pitcher in the game. The Astros would love to have him. We'd love to have him as a community. He's been great here. I don't really even count the Scott Boris putting the hat on as a, as a fait accompli. I knew the fait accompli was really when the Astros left spring training this past March and didn't have him sign like they had done with Justin Verlander. So, uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I know Zach Wheeler's name has been brought up. The Astros have done a masterful job, Chris, of finding that diamond in the rough. A few years ago, it was Charlie Morton. Fantastic acquisition coming off of injuries. Last year, for the most part, it was Wade Monning until the end of September that he forgot. They've just done a really nice job of taking chances on guys, giving short-term one, two-year deals, not breaking the bank. And that's, frankly, all they really need. You still have Verlander in the front of your rotation. You got Granke as a solid number two. You got Lance McCullers hopefully coming back after Tommy John surgery. You've got Forrest Whitley, a young man that has uh, been, you know, uh, a guy that has been thought of very highly in the organization. Everybody's been wanting to trade for him, and the Astros have said thanks, but no thanks. And then you have Jose Herkiti, who became one of the postseason heroes, who's a year removed from Tommy John, had a really nice season for them. He will fight for a rotation spot. So while I think Garrett Cole continues to make the Astros a dominant force in the American League. My philosophy is they've got some plan Bs, and they just, at this time, don't want to spend. If you were to spend Garrett, Cole, Verlander, and uh, a Granky money in three-fifths of your rotation, you'd be looking at about $90 million, and I think the Astros have no interest in doing that. Can I send you out making Houstonians happy? Sure. All right. Right now. The Houston, your Houston Rockets are with the Nuggets Jazz at eight yep. and three, looking up at the Lakers at nine and two. How bummed yep. are Rockets fans to see the Warriors having lost five straight and are two and ten right now? Do you hear the sadness in my voice? <laughs> do you hear the despair? I mean, I'm. A, I mean, do you hear? Because remember, a couple of years ago, you guys heard me during the Western Conference Finals how much I loved your Golden State Warriors when I introduced them. So you know how I feel about your Golden State Warriors. I'm just frankly, my wife's mad at me because I told her, I said, look, I'm going to be in, in San Francisco for Christmas because the Rockets and Warriors play in ABC. And she's like, yeah, but the Warriors suck now. Does ABC still want the game? I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty good point, but I don't think they can change it. So, yeah, no one's sad. No one's disappointed. We, we – Calm, nice, warm, bubbly Houstonians want your basketball team to lose 60 games this year. <laughs> well, I can tell you this. Uh, I used to do the Warriors pre- and post-game show, The Good Years, uh, and I left last year the radio station to work for the A's full-time. So uh, let's just say yours truly parachuted out of that job just at the right time. So maybe it's your fault, frankly. And by the <laughs> way, when is Mike Fires coming back to Minute Maid Park? People here in Houston are asking. Are people really mad at Mike Fires? Oh, my God, yes. Oh, they want to destroy him. We don't like the truth? They do. We don't like the truth? Well, they don't like snitches. <laughs> we don't like the truth? I repeat, the fans <laughs> don't like snitches. Hey, I really... Last time I checked, last time I checked, Mike Fires collected World Series money. Last time I checked, Mike Fires got himself a World Series ring. That's just the last time I checked. Look, I'm I'm not going to kill him like everybody else here in town is, but it, let's just say Mike Fires 
Uh, he could save a quarter of his face, and it wouldn't matter. He'd get booed. Well, you know what the problem is? And, and it happens, like, if you're an organization like the Patriots, like, if you cheat and players know about it and they go to other organizations, you're going to tell the other organization what's going on, right? That's I mean, look at how fires got bombed this year. They're at Minute Maid Park in that first inning. You don't think in the back of a mind right. he's thinking, oh, these guys are cheating. Oh, there's no question. I mean, if anybody thinks, and this isn't any sport, this is in our radio business, this could be at your accounting firm, that if you have really valuable employees that are wanted by other people or you let them go, they're going to ask intelligence about where you worked. That happens all the time. So no one, frankly, in my audience should be shocked that if someone comes up to Mike Fires or any player, I mean, Dallas Keuchel, uh, you've got uh, Ken Giles. I mean, there are guys in the, you know, Evan Gaddis. They're old players. Brian McCann. They were a part of the team that they don't have to say anything, but they're going to be asked. So that should be zero surprise to anybody. Matt, great stuff. We truly appreciate it. Good luck with the Rockets the West or the rest of the way. And as stuff kind of comes down with the Astros, we'd love to have you on again. Call anytime. Talk to you all soon. Bob Nightingale covered it for the USA Today. Always just such a tough whether you got to go to Scottsdale, Bob, or you got to go to San Diego. It's just, it's really tough sledding when you got to cover these GM meetings. I really commend you on really the, 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 the tough travel and everything you have to go through to do these. You know, the thing is, though, those things could be in Topeka, Kansas. It doesn't matter because you're hardly ever going outside. Well, in this case, in San Diego, I mean, in uh, Scottsdale, you work because it was an out, outdoors type of hotel. But like San Diego, the winter meetings, all you're doing is walk around the lobby all day and all night trying to find people uh, that know information. Well, Bob, good news. We're actually going to be in San Diego for the winter meeting, so we can't wait to see you down there in December. Yeah, yeah, I'll be there. I was there uh, about a few years ago. So, yeah, great spot. And, uh, yeah, when you do get outside, at least you got some nice warm weather and a few nice restaurants close by. Yeah, and I'll buy you a beer while we're down there. So in Scottsdale with these G- GM meetings, what did we? What did you learn while uh, you were down there? Uh, it sounds like the uh, free agent market is going to be more aggressive in the past. You know how slow it's been the last couple of years? Now there's movement. People are talking. We already saw one guy sign, Will Smith. Uh, you know, sign with the Braves. I would think Howie Kendrick would sign in a couple of weeks. But, yeah, you mean you talk to the agents, they say there's been more aggressive behavior in the past. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I think the, uh, you know, I, th- I think both sides, I think even the uh, players and agents, you know what, they're tired of waiting until January or February. You know, the spring training houses are gone. The wives and family want to know where I'll be in spring. And I also think that, you know, the uh, upcoming labor dispute, you know, the, uh, the CBA is up in two years where, you know, talk about a possible uh, a possible strike. So I think, you know, teams are saying, hey, let's get this done. And uh, if we sign guys to big-time contracts, maybe they won't want to go on strike because who wants to w- walk away from that kind of money? So you hear all, all kinds of different theories. But I, I would think it'll go a little quicker this year. Bob, I'm so glad you said that. And it's something we've been talking about here on A's Cast is you have a lot of the prominent players in the game have all signed extensions. You've got two of the biggest prominent guys last year, and Harper and Machado signed huge free agent deals. But you got all the stars are inked up, 
and you got a couple of years here to keep inking up the top names in baseball and the top players. And I just think from a business standpoint, if all of the main guys and all of the really good players to decent players all have contracts with guaranteed money, why the heck would these guys all want to have a labor dispute and not make money just because a few older free agent guys are not getting what they think they deserve? Well, yeah, may may very well have come to that. And, you know, hey, we haven't had a uh, you know a strike or work stoppage since the uh, spring of '95, so none of these players have ever gone through that. So yeah, I mean, who, who wants to cough up that kind of money? And uh, so we'll see. We'll see if they really have an appetite for it. You know, I think the main thing is is just a competitive balance. I I do think teams are realizing that you know what we're seeing right now, you know, it isn't good for the baseball as far as too many teams not trying to win. You know, I remember talking to Justin Verlander during the World Series, and someone asked Verlander, hey, pretty cool, you guys won 107 games this year, third straight year, 100, you won 100. He goes, well, let's be honest about it. He goes, half the American League isn't trying to win. You know, they're, all, they're rebuilding. So, you know, you, you, don't, you don't want to see that, where too, you know, too many teams are uh, more interested in rebuilding than actually winning. What do you do if you're Major League Baseball, or is there anything that you can do to stop this? Well, I think maybe you'll know, give some, uh, give some either enticements or penalties, and say, hey, if you uh, if you don't win, uh, you know, if you don't win at least 75 games, you know, once every two or three years, instead of having a top 10 draft pick, you know, we're going to drop you 10 or 15 notches. Hey, if you make the playoffs, you know, five or six years in a row. Hey, we'll, we'll give you extra draft picks. You know, you know, something like that. You know, give it more incentive to teams like uh, Oakland and Tampa, who have low payrolls and, and are con- you know always competitive. You know, give them even a war team and spend more money. Yeah, you know, I've thought about because right now we have a we essentially have a ceiling. We have the luxury tax and the different versions of it and the different penalties of X amount of years being over it. So. They've got a way to detour you from spending a ton of money. Do you think we could ever have a floor where you could say, hey, you want to rebuild, but you do have to spend X amount of money? I understand we want to keep people from spending just crazy money, but how about making sure we don't have what the Rays had this year where the payroll is so low, actually make them spend a certain amount? Yeah, you know, it's been talked about, but the fear with the uh, union agents is, is, does that mean a cap? Of course, the argument, you know, uh, in favor of it is people are treating the luxury tax now as almost a cap. So, yeah, make it make the floor at least $125 million. It's just silly when you have so many teams that the luxury tax is 208 when they're still around, you know, 40 50 $60 million. You know, that, that's not right. Particularly if you're not trying to win. You know, it's one thing for Oakland and Tampa to have low payrolls, but, you know, they're always competitive. You know, it's another another for uh, you know Detroit Tigers and the uh, you know the Marlins. You know, people losing 100 games you know year after year, and you know, the Baltimore Orioles. When you think about rules that are going to come down, we're we're just hearing the potential of uh, there could be a 10-day IL for players, uh, position players, and a 15-day IL for pitchers. So people like the Rays can't manipulate that with, with relievers. What do you think is going to come down the major rule this off season that will affect the game the most in 2020? Well, I think it'd be a two two rules. Yeah, one just like you said, 
Chris, but some people, you know, the Dodgers do that a lot too. They rest their guys, think, okay, he's only going to miss one start and push him back a day for a second start. You know, and nobody wants to go in the DL for 15 days. So, yeah, I think that's in place. But I think the rule that's going to be the uh, the biggest impact by far will be the uh, three-bedroom minimum rule. You know, Rob Manford has the right to implement it now. So every bat, every pitcher comes in, unless he's hurt during a uh, appearance, he's got to face a minimum of three batters. So it's going to be a, a sticky situation where, hey, if some reliever comes in, the base is loaded. If he badly walks the first guy and then walks the second guy again, it's like, you know, are you, are you almost like almost forfeiting the game? It's like you're almost, you know, coughing up runs on purpose just because you're going strictly by the rule book here. So he can implement that anytime he wants without the players' union and, and them agreeing to it. And, and, and when do you think he will implement this? I think it goes, you know, it's his right, but I think it goes in effect next year. Uh, yeah, the union signed off on it for all these agreements, and, you know, that's why they have a 26-man roster next year uh, in, in return for this. But, yeah, I, I think it does go in agreement uh, uh, implemented next year. And, you know, and, uh, you know the owners, the, the, the players, the, you know, the union, everything else, nobody can say no to it. It's all up to Rob Manfred and MLB office. You know, one thing that's not great about baseball right now is the Houston Astros. We're looking at two different investigations. You still got the ongoing one with Brandon Taubman, and now with the cheating in 2017 with cameras and televisions and trash cans. And, uh, you know, Bob, I think about it. I've never seen one organization, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, hockey, that's had to be investigated by its league twice in less than a month. I mean, we're talking about two different investigations in less than a month. So I thought baseball was going to come down still on the Astros about the Taubman thing. Now you got this whole cheating thing, which now links to Cora and the Red Sox and then to Beltron and the Mets. How do you see this all going down with Major League Baseball? And, and, and how big do you think their hammer will be on the Astros? Well, I think the Todman thing, I don't think there'll be any discipline. I mean, the guy already got fired, uh, you know, for his actions. I don't know what more you're, you're going to do. So I think that one, you know, I think that thing is over. The other one, I, I think they're going to make the Astros a scapegoat. But let's be honest. I mean, there's, a lot, you know, a lot of teams cheating. It's one thing, though. It's okay. It's legal to, cheat, uh, to steal time with your eyeballs. You can you know, hit trash cans and whistle, whatever you want to do. You just can't use electronic surveillance which looks like they might have done in 2017 before baseball cracked down. Baseball started cracking down the winter of 18 after the, uh, you know, after the uh, Boston Red Sox got caught with the Apple watches and the Yankees were using a uh, uh, TV monitor. So I, I think if they get caught with surveillance, then you're going to see a, a big time one where it's not only you know, monetary, but, you know, cost and traffic. That's what will really hurt a franchise if you lose a traffic, you know, uh, for you know, two or three straight years. Bob, we always appreciate the time and uh, can't wait to see you down at the winter meetings. And once again, a beer on me. 
All right, look forward to it. Thanks again, Chris. And now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he was one of the premier players in Major League Baseball, a two-time National League MVP, a seven-time All-Star, a five-time Gold Glove winner, a four-time Silver Slugger Award winner. He's in the Braves Hall of Fame, two-time NL RBI leader, two-time NL home run leader. What didn't this guy do? The great Dale Murphy joins us here once again. Dale, how are you? Doing great. Thank you. Thanks for that intro. Well, you know, I was thinking about you yesterday when we were doing the MVPs, and and it's interesting how they, they have the three guys up there, the three finalists on MLB Network, and, and they're talking to each guy about their years, and then each guy will talk about the other two guys we did in the National League. Bellinger wins it, then the American League, and Trout wins it. I'm like, what was it like back when Dale Murphy went back-to-back MVPs? <laughs> was anybody putting you on TV? Well, after it was announced, uh, definitely, I, I recall, you know, I'm not sure. I, I just recall going down to CNN, I think the great late Craig Sager. I'm sorry. So, you know, I can't remember. I do. All I remember is I got a phone call. And then once the news went out, I did a few interviews. Yes. So, but... No, a lot of things have changed over the years. That's that's just one of them. They announced the awards. I, I mean, I love it. It's a great time for the sport to get publicity. And the more, you know, the more we talk about it, the more public sees it's great. But, yeah, that's one of the many things that have changed. I got a, a phone call. That was it. Yeah, things have definitely changed. Actually, my grandfather was Bob Elliott. He was the first third baseman ever to be the National League, to ever be an MVP. He was the National League MVP in 1947. Really? Yeah, in 1947. I, ne- I never got to meet him, but I remember what my grandmother said. It changed his life. It changed his career. So when you win it in 1982, going into that offseason, how does it change Dale Murphy now that you're an MVP? Yeah, I, I would agree. It does. It, it, it's you know, you don't know how to react at the, at the beginning. You're just kind of like, wow. Um, and I, I got to say, I, you know, I, it was, I think the voting was pretty close in 82. I mean, I didn't have overwhelming statistics. I, I had good stats, but I think there was there were some other, just, you know, pretty close voting. I can't remember. But the point of, to answer your question, I just think what I did psychologically is I felt kind of like a marked man all of a sudden. But I, I do remember saying to myself in my off-season workouts and, and just kind of my overall approach to the game uh, that off-season and, and going into spring training was use it for motivation because you kind of got something to prove. Even though you've been given the award, it's like, okay, uh, you've got to go for it. You've got to work harder. And so you got to kind of, instead of making it seem like, uh, you kind of got it made. It's kind of like you got to reprove. You got to prove yourself, and the only way you can do that as an athlete is to prepare. So you know, I did my best at what we did back then. Um, you know, we we were starting to lift weights and all that kind of stuff. So I remember my off season workouts. I was just kind of like, okay, well, I gotta, I gotta really, you know, not mess around because because you feel like I, I guess the best way to put it is you're singled out. You know, all of a sudden you're an MVP, and you better uh, you better work hard to deserve it. You know, when you talk about these things and having worked in the NFL and the NBA and the NHL, whenever you talk Hall of Fames, 
I, I know it's tough for, for, for former players to talk about themselves, but for this 2020 modern baseball era ballot for the Baseball Hall of Fame, I feel probably more qualified than ever because I watched all the guys on this list growing up, including yourself. You and I have talked about it. I grew up in San Diego. You played in the National League West. I got to see a lot of your career. I All these guys, I got to see their careers. And that's why I wanted to open up with all your accomplishments because I think you should already be in the Hall of Fame for what you did in your career as you were truly one of the best players, no question of your time, a two-time MVP. I can't believe you're not in the Hall of Fame. You don't need to talk about that, but now you get another chance. What's it like to be on this ballot? And you're up against guys you played a lot of games against. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you very much. And, and I always answer the question now with, first of all, thank you to the Hall of Fame for recognizing the fact and changing – the voter doing the era uh, uh, committees and, the, and and designating uh, players into their era, which really wasn't happening after you got off the ballot. So I thank the Hall of Fame for, for giving us a chance to be reconsidered. That's the first. And then the other thing is to be on the ballot with my contemporaries and, uh, uh, you know, like you went, I mean, you saw, you saw us play during that time and I, those are my guys. And, you know, they're they're all they're, they're all deserving. I know I know people say, well, you know, what, you can't say that, but it, it depends how the definition of the Hall of Fame is going. If 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 we're going to all be compared to Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, it's it's going to be, and that's fine if that's the decision. It's going to remain a relatively small uh, group. Uh, I think there is a case for everybody on the ballot. And so that's why I'm honored to be a part of it. It's going to be tough to get in again because of that. There are guys that, you know, should be there. And there's other guys that aren't on that ballot yet that I think will be on it again. So I thank the Hall of Fame for the opportunity, and I think it's a great ballot. I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it. Very proud of it. You know, the thing that, that, that bugs me, and you don't need to speak to this, but this is my problem, is that, you know, for so many years, it's about the writers. Because when we start, when we first started the Baseball Hall of Fame, we, we, we didn't have television. There was hardly any radio. So basically, it was the writers who covered the game. But the way that our business, the media is changing, writers are being pushed out. We, you know, papers are less and less. There's less and less writers. And there's now more than ever more broadcasters. And I just wish people like myself who go to every single game, uh, people who are great play-by-play guys, I think that someone like Vin Scully doesn't have a vote. And he's seen everybody from Brooklyn all the way out to L.A. or a John Miller or somebody like that. These Ford C. Frick Award winners don't get an opportunity to vote, I think, is a joke. But the one thing that I do love is that now we're looking beyond just the classic numbers and that – more and more, even writers who may have not have seen you play, can now look at your analytics, Dale. And when you have an OPS over 100 for your career and different analytics, it really helps you and these other guys' cases. Well, yeah, I mean, I, it, there, there's no question about it. I, I agree with you. Everything as as big as an important and as um, as what's the word? Uh, <clears throat> uh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Um, traditional 
of something like this, the way it's been done, is not very fast to change. You know, yeah, I understand that. And so, again, I credit the Hall of Fame with recognizing, hey, there's, there's some inequities for the veterans. Let's, let's fix it. As far as who votes, how could I ever or anyone ever disagree that Ben Scully <laughs> wouldn't get a chance to vote? I mean, you, you bring up a good point. Uh, and it is the writers. That's the way it goes. I, I think it would be fascinating to, you know, discuss that. I mean, it's, it is the writers, so it's their group, and it's kind of hard to say. But I think you could you get some progressive thinking writers that, that could say, man, if, if, if you follow this game, you know, for 10 years as a broadcaster, you're, you're seeing a lot, and, you know, you're just as involved as a writer. So I would agree with you. You know, personally, now I know this is a crazy idea, and but but to me, there's so much marketing that opportunities with the Hall of Fame and the voting and the inductions and everything that I think you could even get more progressive about it. And and I, I'm actually thinking, I mean, a fan representative or fans or can you can you imagine just the resurgence of interest in baseball? If the voting could be, you know, changed, I, I know that I'm not proposing. I'm just saying, I think we have an opportunity to publicize the things that are great about the game in a in a time when we really need more publicity, more marketing, more. I, and and maybe the fans is is a stretch. My my point is that there's opportunities. For instance, we've had years when nobody goes in, and that definitely isn't good as you're trying to fight uh, getting eyeballs on your screen and, and, and increasing attendance and more marketing. And, and you know what I'm saying? Does, it, does that argument make sense that there's an opportunity that could be a, a, someone in marketing, a, a, a dream scenario where you have baseball being talked about not only during the season and the playoffs, but then you have the awards, and then you have the Hall of Fame voting. I mean, you could have year-round discussions about baseball and, and its history and its stuff, and, and then sometimes we have nobody go in the Hall of Fame. It, it, just, it, it, it just seems counterintuitive to the time we live in. You know what? Did that make sense? Did you, that make sense? You know what it's called, Dale? It's called the NFL. That's what they do. It's 365, 24-7. They figure that there out. There you go. And, there, and, there, and it, it, that's what it's all about is – is you know people are looking at things on their phone minute by minute and they're not sitting down watching the game of the week we we need and so that's just my 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 um my inside uh self that is is it is at heart a a marketing guy i think <laughs> no i i love it because i i think about dale what a lot of people don't understand is everybody thinks baseball controls the Hall of Fame, and that's that's not the case. The 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 right. Hall of Fame is an entity on itself. Baseball does not control it. Now, the one thing I do right. like about baseball right now and about Rob Manfred is that he's looking to change. How do we make this game quicker? Yeah. How do we deliver better? How, how do we get how, how do we get more people? How do we get younger people into the game? How do we how do we how do we make right. how do we spruce right. it up? And I like that because you know what? If you're and you know this being in business and you have businesses if you're not if you're not progressing as a business you're going to die well yeah exactly uh, there's no question and baseball is doing a good job of social media and uh uh what is uh ml bam are are uh the uh the baseball 
I don't know what it's called, but our app is great. We're doing things. It's, it's great. But I think one of the great things about baseball is Cooperstown and the history of the game. But you've got to publicize that. You've got to go around the country and have a, you know, have something that educates kids about baseball. And they become fans. They just, they do because it's interesting. And we've done a great job with what Jackie Robinson has done. And I just might give you a heads up. I don't know if I'm letting the cat out of the bag. I, it's not even official, but there's a movement to get a Luke Gehrig day. Um, and, and uh, you know, so the point is we do a lot of good things. But we could always do more, I guess, is what I'm saying. It's a it's a completely different generation. And I congratulate Rob Manfred. I think everybody's trying to figure that out. Uh, we really have a unique sport that is not like basketball and football and soccer, where you've got to acquire the taste and understand the game. And, you know, let's just let's just keep publicizing it because it is a great game. It is. It's got some great things about it. Let's end on this, as there's obviously a scandal going on in baseball right now with the Houston Astros and using technology to steal signs. Now, stealing signs, I hate the word stealing. Being able to pick up someone's signs by whether you're doing it visually or it's a runner on second base, that's, that's that's not stealing. But when you're using technology like cameras and televisions and stuff, so what was it like back in your day trying to pick up another team's signs? Well, yeah, that, that that it's not that technology didn't exist and that games were on TV and that there were feeds going into clubhouses sometimes, but, uh, you know, there really wasn't in a, a situation that that I was aware of. I mean, I heard occasionally that, that if the game was broadcast, there might be some way to communicate it, but that, that was broadcast TV. And so, but to put a dedicated camera to steal signs and then it, it, the whole thing is is not within i believe there's a specific rule that says you know within the whatever however it's stated within the confines of the field if you're on second base and you're looking in trying to steal the signs you know that's a different thing you you go out there you, first of all you got to get a guy on second then he has to look at the sequence of you know two three one two and and remember that, then remember the pitch, and then come in and tell everybody what the sequence was, what the pitch was, and what he thinks sign it is. You know, I mean, it was pretty complicated. Now, there were pitchers clipping their pitches. That, that's part of the game. You can't tip your pitches. And if you can't put signs down with a guy on second that are hard to decipher, then, you know, that's a problem. That's just like me being a linebacker. And watching a running back, when you watch his eyes, if, he, if, if his eyes go right, you know, then, then he's going to go to that part of the line. That's just part of scouting and, and looking at tendencies and things they're doing. But I think, I, well, this crosses the line, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see the book thrown at him. Dale, you know you got big fans here. We're rooting for you big time, and enjoy the offseason. We'll check in with you soon. Great to talk to you anytime. Dr. Meredith Wills is with us once again. Doc, you've been doing a lot of investigating. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. So the biggest question that everybody has had is, you know, we know that the balls were flying out of the ballpark at a record rate during the regular season, and then kind of during the postseason, but kind of not. 
Uh, you know, were, were, were the balls the same in the postseason as the regular season? I know you've been investigating. Uh, where are we with the baseball? Uh, well, first of all, I guess I need to start by saying that, that science is science and it doesn't always take in the directions you expect. And this was definitely that. And that I um, started out, you know, looking for a, a reason for the uh, postseason baseball traveling the way it did. Because, yeah, it seemed to die. Uh, Rob Arthur did some great work on that. And not only did it seem to die, but the way that it traveled game to game seemed to vary. And so I thought, great, you know, I get my hands on some postseason balls and I can just take a look. Um, by the way, I need to stipulate, it clearly became important that I needed game balls. And I ended up having a lot of trouble getting game balls the way I normally do, which is, you know, there are people who actually can get balls that are used in games or batting practice. And for some reason, there were just a lot of barriers that were put up, um, which I suppose is understandable for the postseason, but these are kind of extreme. And I asked MLB and MLB, you know, various channels that uh, either didn't respond or said, no, actually, there are lots of other people who've been asking to do baseball studies as well. So whatever. Uh, so I ended up going to Rawlings and uh, went to a lot of trouble to make sure that what I was buying were unused game balls, you know, postseason game balls, the, exactly the stuff that was being used on the field. And there are about a half a dozen ways that I, I checked that out the point, to the point of them being authenticated as unused postseason game balls. And it turns out that according to MLB and then actually according to Rawlings, uh, the balls that I got actually weren't game balls. Uh, and they were, they were very clear about that. <laughs> so it was kind of a problem because uh, the reason I reached out to begin with was because the balls that I had either wouldn't have met quality control according to how Rawlings normally does quality control for game balls, or for most of them, they were clearly just not from 2019. They were, they were 2018 balls. And I did some cryptography and was able to, to um, figure that out because there's a batch code, a batch designation code on stamped on the inside of every cover. And I was able to figure out that these would have been made at the tail end of production for 2018. And there other evidence showing that too. And so I talked to Rawlings and they said, nope, these uh, couldn't be balls that we would have used on the field because we just don't sell them that way, even though it said game balls everywhere. And uh, yeah, it's actually entirely reasonable. We uh, take balls from previous seasons all the time and use them for, uh, in this case, what they call uh, commercial balls. They're also called memorabilia. And then there were uh, additional quotes that the athletic obtained from other executives at Rawlings saying, yeah, we actually do the same thing with, with game balls, with on-field balls. So uh, I suppose I have no idea still what actually happened during the games, but it turned out to be kind of a mystery <laughs> that, that I didn't expect to run into that sort of said, you know, what you're getting advertised isn't necessarily what is, you know, showing up. So I basically Rawlings isn't the place to go if you want, game balls yeah that's not very good marketing right there 
No, it's a little bit weird. Um, I mean, I, I have any number of things because I went to so much trouble to make sure that these were game balls, that these would have been exactly what was used on the field. And there was nothing. I mean, I, I talked to, talked to uh, it literally even called their retail division, you know, basically customer service, because there was a little confusion in how, you know, one of the things was listed, particularly it was just the interior. But the usage specification said major league, comma, game. Uh, most of the others said memorabilia. These said game. Um, and, you know, I talked to a guy who went to his supervisor who made a phone call and they came back and they said, yep, these are exactly what are going to be used on the field or what are being used on the field. And, yeah, I mean, it's just I'm not really sure what was going on there, but uh uh, I I found a lot of interesting stuff. The problem is that I'm still I still need postseason actual game balls to figure out what happened. Well, my 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 so. my, my spidey senses tell me it's so controversial right now for them that in mm-hmm. no way does Major League Baseball want a batch of their postseason baseballs in the hands of anybody like yourself. Well, they went to an awful lot of trouble even before this came out uh, to make sure that that I couldn't get them. I mean, there was, oh God, I'm trying to think. There, there, everything from, uh, you know, because to do this stuff, you you obviously, you know, you talk to people who have access to, to balls that will end up on the field, and it was everything from from personnel who normally would have been able to access game balls who were actually being denied access um there were reprimands being issued uh there there uh i had a couple people who actually had balls in their possession who then contacted me and said you know i i know i've got them i know i said i have them and i i can't give them to you because my my job would be in jeopardy and that actually turned out to be a threat that wasn't unfounded so you know it's yeah, for whatever reason, it does seem to be important to MLB that I don't look at them, which is, is a little bit strange. It's, it's concerning. Um, I, would, I would like to actually do the study and, and figure out what's going on and why it's a big deal, especially since Rawlings has actually gone on the record saying, uh, yeah, actually, we absolutely will use, say, balls from previous seasons on the field of play. So, you know, I'm not really sure what the deal is. Because Rawlings has just said, you know, what I found for the balls that the the um, the people are buying in, you know, buying either in the team stores. And the thing is, the prices were crazy. Like I paid an awful lot per baseball to buy directly from Rawlings, but you know, I had people who were telling me about prices at the parks, and you know, like forty bucks each, fifty bucks each for these balls that were being advertised as game balls and had authentication stickers. And you know, that's kind of not what you'd expect if they weren't actually game balls. I don't know. So the, oh. these balls had this sticker. So what happens is, is when a ball gets thrown out, there is a guy standing mm-hmm. by the dugout that has the stickers. That once... Oh, no, it's a, different, it's a different kind. I need to specify. So okay. there's, there's two ways you can do authentication. There's either the, I mean, what you're describing, which is that the ball gets thrown out, a guy puts a sticker on it, and then it gets sold on the concourse as this ball was used in game. Correct. And those are like, what, a couple hundred bucks? Um, these are balls that are sold in the stores, and they're already in cases 
that say like authentic game ball and the boxes that they actually sit in say official game ball. I mean, I'm staring at some boxes now that say official game ball. Um, and the authentication stickers are actually on the outside. And quite honestly, they're, they're on the plastic wrap on the outside, which is a little bit, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought that was strange to begin with because it means that if you try to unwrap the ball to actually see what it's like, you end up taking away the authentication. You know, so it's like, oh, yeah, it's authenticated as long as you don't check. Oh. You know, obviously I was going to check, so I took the, the, the wrappers off. But, you know, presumably that's why the, the sticker in that case is on the outside. I don't know. Oh, we're saying it's a game ball. No. We're, we're just not telling you from what year. Or, or we're not even, we're not even telling. In this case, I mean, I've, I've literally got a quote that's in my article from their chief operating officer saying, "What you bought would never, ever have been a game ball. We just wouldn't have used these on the field. Sorry, if it's in a, if it's in a case like this, and you bought it like this, by definition, it would never have been a game ball. It wouldn't have been that quality. Why don't we just have so, one? Why don't we just have one ball? Well, the thing is, and and MLB has been very specific about this. Rawlings has been very specific about this. In fact, the commissioner has been very specific about this. The balls are all made in the same process. Like, nobody ever starts out saying, oh, yeah, this isn't going to be a game ball. They're trying to make game balls all the way through. But the standards are very, very high as to what constitutes good enough for games. And the ones that don't quite meet those standards – are put aside and they're either used for practice or they're used for commercial. Um, one thing that you do see for commercial balls, and this shows up all the time, is that the balls, they're, they're probably game quality, but they're also stamped upside down. And that's easy to tell because the laces, if you know what to look for, the laces literally look like they're going in the wrong direction. So there's a great picture again in my article that shows okay, this is what it would look like if it was a game ball. This is what it would look like if it had been set aside by quality control because it was stamped upside down. And like one box I bought that said, you know, game balls all over it, dozen balls, seven of them were stamped upside down. This was kind of a, a was sort of, I figured it had to be one of two things. It was either that, that, you know, what I've since found out that they weren't actually game balls, regardless of everything that was said, or that uh, quality control had been loosened on that particular thing, which, you know, considering if I don't know why, but it wouldn't be an unreasonable thing to do because very likely these would have been game balls were they not stamped upside down. You know, the ball would be the same. It's just the stamps on the wrong side. So, you know, they could have still been used. But you see where I'm going with that, right? Oh, yeah, because it happens with gloves mm-hmm. all the time. Like, gloves are not made perfectly, oh, sure. so they're called blem. Mm-hmm. They're blemished, and, it'll be, and you'll right. see a stamp, B-L-E-M, and it's a blem glove that mm-hmm. they'll sell for cheaper because it's not – it doesn't – fit the standard it's still a glove that you can use in competition if you're a kid or a high school or whatever but it's just not Mm -hmm. perfect and they can't charge you the 230 bucks so they're now going to charge you like 65 or whatever it would be so yeah i guess that makes sense Mm so uh gonna be tough to get down to uh figure out where we are with the baseball you know it 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 is it's the one thing that's interesting on it is that what you have to realize is that I didn't ask for this 
information in quite this way. It basically got volunteered, which was a little bit odd. Um, you know, like it, I was surprised at how straight Rawlings was about some of this stuff. Uh, and so the, the statements that I got from the, the chief operating officer were very clear that the balls I bought would never possibly have been game balls. And also that, yeah, they all the time would take base. It was sort of standard practice for them to take balls from previous seasons and just stamp them as whatever. And in this case, sell them as collect or commercial and memorabilia balls. Um, but then there was a, a later uh, statement to, there's actually a, a second article uh, by Katie Strang. Uh, and she did a, a bang up job on this, looking at some of the legal implications because like, you know, I'm doing the science. That's, that's my thing. I just want to find out what happened during the postseason. You know, I'm not I'm not interested in the liability or whatever that's that's for other people to deal with. But um, she ended up with a quote uh, from the chief marketing officer who said essentially that the practice that was being used with the, the, the commercial or the memorabilia balls was also used with the balls on the field. He actually says, you know, on field balls will absolutely take them from from previous years and, and use them. So um the idea that it's worthwhile to keep looking because it's not, I guess it's not unreasonable to think that we, we saw all this change in, in drag and aerodynamics game to game during the postseason. I mean, we found that that, that happened. Um, the, the most logical explanation would be in fact, what the chief marketing officer said that it may have been balls that were made four seasons before 2019, because don't forget, I mean, the ball travels way further this regular season than it ever has before. And so if you had balls from previous seasons that were being used during the postseason, which it sounds like is absolutely part of Rawlings, it's just what they do. It's, it's part of uh, business as usual. And, um, you know, that, that would account for the changes that we saw game to game. Uh, it would have been nice to know ahead of time that that's something that they do because the ball, um, the, I, one thing that didn't seem to come across very well in the discussions was that the ball is noticeably different. I mean, you know, and, and you know this and everybody who's been sort of looking at stuff, the players know this, the ball is was so different during the regular season that using a 2018 ball instead of a 2019 ball makes a huge difference compared to say using a 2017 instead of 2018 or 2016 instead of 2017. They're, they're, they're different enough, but the ball, I mean, you, you felt those. Remember you talking about how like the ball would just roll off the table if you yeah. put it down. Yeah. You know, they're so different this regular season that it, it would make sense that you would see huge variations if you were taking balls that weren't 2019. And you know, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's not that the practice is a problem, particularly something they've done before now, but it would have been nice to know, you know? So yeah, well, just, and then the question is, what kind of ball are we going to use in spring training and what kind of ball are we going to use in 2020? I, I have no clue, but now that we know that this is standard, um, I, I'm not sure. I mean, this, this could just be the way that, that stuff works, that it could just be that they – you know, maybe something starts out fine early in the season and it just, you know, I don't know when they use 
the the leftover baseball, basically, you know, or old stock or whatever. You know, maybe it's fish they run out over the course of the year. Maybe it was just worse this year. Who knows? And that's um, and that is a, the and, point is that I I need the ball to find out. Yeah, and that, and that's a tough thing for talent evaluators too. Is and you've heard a couple GMs say, you know, what, what kind of players you looking for this off season? They said, well, what kind of ball are we going to be using? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, and it's just and and the, the problem, unfortunately, is that uh, if you talk to these guys, they they for whatever reason they're not. Um, all they'll basically say is that the 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 same methods are used, the same specifications. You know, it's 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 kind of what's been said all through the regular season as well. But what we understood from, for instance, Manfred's comments early on is he would talk about say no meaningful changes, which, as far as I can tell, all that meant was that Rawlings was using its standard procedures, which they do process improvements. They do it all the time. You know, they're on the record in the home run committee report from last year that they do process improvements regularly. So it's like as long as it's kind of what Rawlings would have done, that seems like it's, you know, that's standard. That that fits within whatever the the explanation or the justification is. And now that they've come out and said, oh, yeah, we also will p- take balls from old stock and use them as game balls. Um, which this year again made a huge difference. If it, you know, okay, I should say would have made a huge difference because obviously I don't have the data on that. Um, you know, it. The problem is that it fits into that that original discussion that, or the original talking point. You know, yeah, this is all within specifications. Yeah, this is what Rawlings does anyway. And now that's just been expanded from. You know, they do changes year, you know, all the time to, oh, yeah, and by the way, now we'll use old baseballs, too. So it's like it's even more of a moving target than it was before. And I don't know what to make of it. All right, Doc, let me see what I can dig up baseball-wise. Please. Let me the see. postseason's over. Hopefully it's not a big deal anymore. But, yes, I need postseason baseball. We will be in touch. You have a great weekend. All right, great. Thanks for having me. Congratulations to Marcus Simeon. We all know, and baseball for the most part, now knows the kind of year that Marcus Simeon had. It was really historic. And congratulations to Cody Bellinger. We'll get to him in a moment because his MVP yesterday, uh, pretty historic when you look at the names he joined. And when they when they showed it on MLB Network, I was like, wow, you want to be a part of a group, that's a group to be a part of. I knew Mike Trout was going to win it. I told the commander he was going to win it. Commander still wanted to believe Bregman was going to win it. A lot of people still wanted to believe Bregman was going to win it. And I kept trying to tell you Trout's going to win it. Because everybody knows Mike Trout's the best player in the game. And we're not about... Hey, who did it on a winning team? Years ago, I might have agreed with that. Now I don't. I do not want guys to miss out on greatness because the other players around them were hurt. One of their pitchers died on an overdose. A lot of different things happened to the Angels. Am I going to penalize Mike Trout for that and his greatness? Marcus Simeon had an unbelievable year. 
really the West had a – if you were watching MLB Network yesterday, how impressed were you that you're looking at the AL MVPs, ones with the Angels, one with the Astros, and one with the A's? All three top ten guys, all three top three, all, all top three were, were American League West guys. That's the kind of talent you got in the division. And think of the other players in the division. All you got to do is look at Correa and Altuve, Springer, Olsen, Chapman. How about Otani? The Japanese Babe Ruth. There's so much talent in our division. It's unreal. It really is. And I want to applaud Marcus for being up there. For having an 8.1 war. War's getting a little out of hand. Whether it's the baseball reference war or the fan graphs war. I'm just going to go baseball reference war. 8.1. Can we all just agree on that? But to celebrate Marcus Simeon, 33 home runs, 92 RBIs, a 285 batting average, played in all 162 games, led all of baseball with 747 plate appearances. He had 43 doubles, 7 triples, walked 87 times, had an OPS as a leadoff hitter. Of 892. And oh, yeah, played a fantastic shortstop. Was up for the gold glove. Bravo, Marcus. This was your moment. This was your career year. And for the rest of his career, no matter what happens, when you go on to baseball reference and you look at 2019, it's going to say MVP slash third. That's something. You finish top three MVP balloting. It's a big deal. Marcus has got a long way to go in his career. It's going to be fun to watch. Let's hope the bulk of it. I never say forever because some players outlive their value and they want to continue to play, and that is their right, and God bless you. But I only want you in your group and your good years. And I want the bulk of his good years to be here in Oakland, and hopefully that's going to happen. Now, the only downside to the show yesterday and normally I praise MLB Network more than anybody. They do a phenomenal job covering our game. And I watch it every day, and I watch it all day. And if I'm not watching it, I'm taping it, and I'm going back, and I'm watching it. They really did a piss-poor job with the American League. We, hey, I get it. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not doing this as an A's fan. Take Marcus out and put whoever in there. Obviously, I know Trout and Bregman are the front runners. They're the ones are one of them's going to win it. The third guy is not. But you don't treat the third guy as the third guy. I know that not only as a show host, I also produce. If I'm producing the show, I'm not sitting there going, "Hey man, this is all about Trout. This is all about Bregman. Oh yeah, there's this guy Simeon." That's not how you should do it. That's not how you should do it for the National League. It's not how you should do it for the for the MVP, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young Award, Manager of the Year. And they didn't do that for any of them. If you go back and watch the shows, everybody got equal time and equal praise. 
Marcus, and I just want to make sure I'm not overstating this, and I'm not trying to be a homer. Commander, did you watch it? Yes, I did. Did you get, and it's specially, um, what's his name? He was hosting it with Harold and uh, uh, Amesinger. He actually said goodbye to Marcus. Like, Marcus, that's it for you. Goodbye. They they literally said, two-horse race. We'll do a little on Marcus, ask him a couple questions, and then bye-bye. He actually said goodbye to Marcus before they even were going to announce the guys and bring them up. As when I say announce, so what happens is they go to break, come out, they go to whoever the guy is, the Baseball Writers Association president, and he makes the announcement. But like two seconds before that, if you really paid attention, Amsinger basically said goodbye to Mar- Marcus. Thanks everything. So basically, by saying goodbye to Marcus, like that was it for him. Uh, yeah, we're not going to see it. We're going to put you up there and your face up there. Which, by the way. The setting for Marcus at the A's Jack London office was beautiful with the World Series trophies behind him and everything. They decorate, they they did it right. Kudos to who would that be? Who set that up? It's a good question. I was in the office yesterday too, but I didn't see who set it up. Uh, Whoever the, set that up with the A's, you did a very nice job. Kudos to Fernando and Mark and Olivia and everyone in the PR team because I'm sure oh, they had a big hand Oh, look at it. you, kissy, kissy. I'm sure they had a big part in that. Oh, Fernando. Fernando, you know what, Fernando? You could have been an interior decorator. You're so good. So my big problem was they had Trout, a camera at Trout's house. Looked great. Marcus at the oh, – by, by the way, Trout with his dad, buddies – I don't know if he has a brother – Marcus by far had the best setting of anybody. Completely agree. I, but then you have Bregman on like vacation in a hotel room on Skype. It's like, come on, come Bre- on, bro. Bregman's in Cancun. Well, he's on vacation. Yeah. Well, hey, you know you're in the MVP finalist. You don't want the finalist. Like, hey, hey, you know what? Here's something. The camera that the Astros used to cheat to steal signs was better than the camera on him uh, potentially accepting the MVP. And then when I was watching the NL one, what? Bellinger and they showed him I'm looking at the people in the background and I'm like hey, is that they showed the one guy and I'm like it was the guy from the Pirates I'm like that's the closest the Pirates ever going to get to the MVP award ever again it's just because like they're best friends but again Bellinger family there friends set in front Sister, of a night mom girlfriend nice camera but dad came over to hug him but then Bellinger or Bellinger but, by the way Bellinger is not a great interview I've seen him probably the best I've seen Bellinger is on intentional talk, and they got him to loosen up a little bit. He's still young at 24. But the emotion that he showed is something that you don't see very often. He was brought to tears. It was really cool to see. Uh, The audio isn't that good, so we're not going to play it for you. But Cody Bellinger, when he was announced, and after he hugged his father and sat back down, his father former major league pitcher. He sat down, they started asking him questions. He was he was in tears. I was really it was it was a very good baseball PR moment. You know, so many times guys are a little bit of stiffs. Uh he was not a stiff. He was a he was almost an emo his mom's crying next to him. It was a um it was a nice family moment for the Bellingers. I, I like that he showed emotion and he also you brought it up he joined an elite list people when I say list there was only two other guys that ever do what he did so he's the third Dodger 
So just to, just to clean up Marcus, I thought they did a poor job. You're supposed to – all three guys are supposed to be equal going in, and clearly it wasn't. They did a bad job with that. For Bellinger, Bellinger is the third Dodger. Now, the Dodgers have an illustrious history with awards. He is the third Dodger ever to win Rookie of the Year and MVP. Third Dodger, Rookie of the Year, and then MVP. Joining Jackie Robinson and Don Newcomb. I mean, wow. That's 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 pretty that's pretty that's pretty incredible. And for Bellinger, I got a feeling this is uh this is one of probably a couple for him. You think about this kid sat out the first two games of the World Series in Fenway Park, which we all look back now and go, Well, that was stupid. But then the offseason changes swing. And turns around at 24 years old, hits 305, 47 home runs, 115 RBIs. And that doesn't tell the whole story. The fact that this guy has the ability to play center, right, and first base, all three positions at a gold glove level. His defensive run saves were incredible this year. Was he 18, 19, something like that? I mean, he was throwing people out at the beginning of the year. Like, why are you running? It's like Ramon Laureano. Why are you running on this guy? It was pretty. Uh, it was pretty special to watch him win. I got. I got to say, and I, I, I'm a Bellinger guy. And then I think about Trout. There's only one man that has more than three MVPs. There's a whole list of guys that got three MVPs. Let me see. Bonds is the only one. By the way, uh, 22 defensive runs saved for Bellinger. 22. Pretty good. So the list of Major League Baseball, it's a who's who of who has more. That's not what I want. Bonds has seven. The next most is three. And that's that's a bunch of guys. That's pool holes. That's now Trout. That's Mike Schmidt. I mean, look, look look at this company that Trout joined yesterday. Because I now have the list. Trout, so it's Trout, Pujols, Michael Jack Schmidt, Mickey Mantle, Yogi Berra, Roy Campanella, Joe DiMaggio, Jimmy Fox. He's only 28 years old. I'm going to read those names for you again. This is the group Mike Trout joined yesterday. Albert Pujols. Oh, I forgot one. Alex Rodriguez, Mike Schmidt, Mickey Mantle, Yogi Berra, Roy Campanella, Stan Musial, Joe DiMaggio, and Jimmy Fox. I got one for you. 51 first ballot Hall of Famers played the entirety of their career since 1931. That's when the Baseball Writers of America began voting for the MVP. Mike Trout has produced more top two MVP finishes, seven, than 50 of them. Stan Musial also has seven. Mike Trout is 28 years old. Uh, he's 
only the second ever player to have multiple MVPs on a losing team. Do you know who the other guy is? Multiple MVPs on a losing team. On a losing team. Bernie Banks. Correct. Thank you, Hembo, for that stat. I mean, the list of two is is everybody's in the Hall of Fame, right? Ted Williams. I mean, everybody who has two MVPs is in the Hall of Fame. Except for Del Murphy. Except my man, Dale Murphy. By the way, friend of the program who will be on later today. 3 o'clock. I want to tell you this about Trout. Juan, well, Juan Gonzalez. Yeah, Juan Gonzalez. And, and Steroids. Cabrera's not in the Hall of Fame yet. Um, Trout wins one more MVP. One more. He separates himself from Bonds. Because we have proof that the last four MVPs by Barry Bonds, not only documented in the great book, The Game of Shadows, but also Barry Bonds, when giant fan, when ignorant giant fan, and trust me, huh, I've had to deal with that lately. As I put out the question, would you, you know, our, our guy Moses from MLB Network put out the thing on Twitter. Would you rather have Derek Jeter's first nine years or Mike Trout's? I'd, be, I'd rather have Buster Posey. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Barry Bonds testified in front of a federal grand jury. He put his hand on a Bible. Barry Lamar Bonds, do you promise to tell the truth, nothing but the truth, blah, 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 blah? Yes, I do. He testified in front of a federal grand jury. He did it. That got leaked by the San Francisco Chronicle. So the whole, he never tested positive. There's no proof. He testified in front of a federal grand jury. Those last four MVPs, there's an asterisk there. There's an asterisk. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.